Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 7th of April, as it is my co-host coming back after his sojourn to Melbourne. Uh, Much-needed leave, you'd have to say, Stolich. It's great to have your company. Welcome back to the show. What do you mean much-needed leave? Well, you think my performance was dipping the last few weeks on the show and you're like, you know, what? I think whenever leave comes about, it's much-needed for everyone and anyone. Isn't that right? That's true. That's true. I did have a wonderful time down in uh, Melbourne, in Victoria. Uh, you know, what a great city uh, Melbourne is. Really, really love it. Every time I go back there, it seems better than ever. Um, although a big thing in Melbourne, I don't know if people can uh, let us know in the comments, but I'm seeing so many more mullets on kids in Melbourne than I am seeing in Sydney. The mullet is big in Melbourne. It's making a huge uh, comeback in Melbourne, not so much in Sydney. The mullet should never be used in a sentence saying the mullet is making a comeback. It should just be dead, right? Yeah. And I mean no disrespect to our good friend Rhino, good old Buster over at Sydney mm. FC because I think he was one of the very rare few that could pull off a mullet. But don't bring the mullet back. I don't want to see 10-year-old kids walking down the street with mullets. Least of all, now AFL players apparently have really taken to the mullet, Stolich. Tell us yeah. in the comments, do you want to see the mullet come back? Are you, in fact, watching the show Sporting a mullet, I'd like yeah. to know that as well. But so no, I, I reckon, maybe I reckon, you know what? As 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 the time goes on, if we ever come to some kind of a, a bizarre arrangement slash bet, mm. we might have a bet on the fact that you may have to grow a mullet in case Messi leaves the club. No, I don't want to. That'll be two things that will hurt me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you if you also uh, have a mullet as well in response, I'm not growing a mullet. I'm not growing a mullet. I'm um, absolutely not growing a mullet. Nah, but yeah, but also what I wanted to say, Lucy, was you know what a tough uh, couple of days for you. You know, Liverpool losing to Real Madrid this morning, Borussia Dortmund losing to uh, Manchester City, and of course Canberra United losing their semi final against uh, Sydney FC. How are you coping with this football kind of you know, heartbreak? It's a hat trick of horseshit, basically. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right. It's been absolutely rough. That, especially, you know, the, the the W League match for me, I felt very confident going into it. But at the same time, I knew that Sydney FC they were going to be really hungry to make a statement and to prove a point because they came into the final series on shaky ground. They managed to go into that, you know, do or die clash. Well, not do or die, but obviously everything on the table in terms of the Premier's plate being up for grabs against the victory. Um, very hungry, very determined. But this was really sending a strong message that we've won the Premier's plate and now we're actually looking to do the double mm-hmm. again. So, um, but that was a brutal way to lose. Borussia Dortmund, we know historically, they always tend to struggle at this level. Um, but, you know, and we'll talk about the Champions League shortly in more depth. But for me, I think defensive errors really kind of put the icing on the cake for them in that respect, but also Liverpool. It's just been a woeful season. And I know we're going to pose an interesting question about whether or not Klopp got it wrong, but there's a lot more when you scratch the surface there. Um, This is a club that's been hampered by injuries, but there's a hell of a lot to discuss. Um, I want to quickly, before we get into what's going to be a massive show, because we've got a W League grand final preview coming up. We're catching up with a Sydney FC W League head coach, the great auntie Yordish, to chat all things W League grand final ahead of the all-important match coming to us this Sunday, which is going to be huge. We're also then catching 
catching up with um, Samantha Lewis, our beloved women's football expert. We've got a lot going on in that space because we've got W League Grand Final and then the Matildas Internationals coming up um, this weekend and then obviously in the early hours of next Wednesday morning. Plus then we'll also be catching up with uh, Melbourne Victory Captain Angela Beard. Good old Angie has decided to stop by and chat to us later on in the program. Again, great to have the views of both sides coming into this because we had the opportunity to catch up with Jeff Hopkins last week on game day, which was really, really great actually to have Jeff's views. A very passionate football guy who's achieved wonderful things with his Melbourne victory side. So it'd be great to get the views of the players in that respect on just what they're expecting will come up in that all-important clash this Sunday at Nestrada Jubilee. Really looking forward to that. Eduardo Andres, another packed show. Love it. Always packed here, Eduardo. And always great to welcome you back to TWG Live. We have so many of our wonderful viewers here who are regulars who tune in and join us. It's great to have you all here. A-League memes already. The smart-ass comments coming through. Um, asking me, Lucy, aren't you technically on social media here? Well, no, it's not my account, right? So it's not my fault that we have to run our platform <laughs> through these mediums, right? TWG Live, it's got to come to you in some fashion. And if it is coming to you on a, on a Facebook platform, page or a Twitter page, then so be it. But it is not my name attached to this particular page. My social media protest and blackout continues. And we've seen more racism emerge uh, from abroad. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program. But I think, Solich, it's time to get things underway. And we touched on it briefly there. But the Champions League. Wow, wow, wow. Real Madrid 3, Liverpool 1, Manchester City 2, Borussia Dortmund 1. I said it just then and we'll ask it now. Did Klopp get it wrong and are City in trouble? So there's been a lot of conjecture, Stolich, before I get your views on it about did Klopp get it wrong by making that substitution with Naby Keita just a few minutes before the halftime whistle blew. Um, and I don't know. I'd, actually, let's let's go to you on this first because I'd love to hear what someone who is not a Liverpool supporter and someone that is impartial uh, have their take on it. What did you think? Well, I mean, the substitution... I can see why he made it because they were playing awful uh, that first half. They really were struggling. I wouldn't pin it all on Naby Keita, who I think has been a pretty big disappointment. You know, he came across from Germany, and I remember there's a lot of people saying this guy had been killing it uh, for Leipzig. He's going to step up. He's going to be one of the best players in the Premier League. He has failed to deliver on that. Now, is that his fault? Is that Klopp's fault in not kind of properly integrating him into the team? Is it a bit of both? Probably. Um, but I do remember, for example, a friend of ours, David Zrilich, who saw him a lot at Leipzig when he was coaching there. He said he's a phenomenal player. So I would have expected better from him. But I thought it was telling that he didn't start Thiago, who I thought was a vital kind of cog in his team this year. And he didn't start Firmino. And I know Diego Jota has been in fantastic form. Amazing. Um, but, you know, Firmino, what he does when it comes to pressing the ball, helping the, the link-up play, that just wasn't there for Liverpool this morning. And I think that cost them, you know, that Liverpool didn't have a chance that whole first half. I don't think they had a shot, basically. And then you look at it, you know, the, the other thing, what Klopp can't control is, this, you know, the centre-back issue. I think they, they started targeting the space between Alexander-Arnold um, and the centre-back there, the right, the centre-back and the right-back. You saw Alexander-Arnold yeah. get caught out there, and it's a great point um, that Ivan Stragan makes here further to that, where he says, bigger question is, will Trent Alexander-Arnold now make the England Euro squad after this morning? Oh, it's probably a bit too early to judge on that one, but carry on, Stolich, to your point. Well, I just think he probably won't. I think, well, think at least still too early. Maybe the squad, maybe the squad, but definitely Southgate will look at that and go, look, he was targeted this morning by an experienced European team. And when it comes to, you know, the Euros and they get to the quarterfinal stage and they come up against a Spain, a Germany, an Italy, a Netherlands, 
of France. That's exactly what the opposition is going to do. They're going to target because we know Alexander Arnold. We've known for years now Alexander Arnold. He was a centre midfielder that switched to right back, and he's done really well there. But offensively, defensively, he's always had issues. And you know, I I think that that was proven this morning. But my kind of issue was if you have someone like Thiago in midfield a bit earlier, you know, starting the game, then can you get Alexander Arnold up the pitch more? Can you make him more of a threat going forward? Therefore having to push Vinicius back, having to push Mendy back. So mm-hmm. th- that's where I think you need to get the the balance. But yeah, I think uh, you know, Klopp, who I think has done a great job overall, I think he has a few questions to answer. Definitely, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I started to scratch the surface on this and I thought, okay, well, why didn't we actually start Tiago? And we've had a lot of issues with him in terms of being able to get to get a consistent, consistent part of me, 90 minutes of football out of him. He did play 90 minutes against Arsenal. But Corey and I, of course, Corey, also a massive Liverpool fan, we started to sift through and see, okay, has he been playing regular football? And he actually hasn't, and that's been one of the biggest problems. And for us, particularly when you consider the midfield, I mean, we were outplayed in the midfield massively. Uh, this morning, but then those defensive errors as well, particularly concerning um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, really cost us there. But what should have been the ideal midfield for us would have been Ginny Van Alden, Fabinho, and then you have Thiago in there, right? Thiago, very experienced playing against Real Madrid. You've got Fabinho, also very experienced. Ginny Van Alden knows how to play and beat uh, you know, uh, and, and and actually do it well against Real Madrid as well. So this is the problems that we're having. I mean, when you consider the fact that Kabak and, and Nate Phillips, they're the most consistent central defensive partnership for us when Kabak only recently joined us, um, that's really concerning. And, um, and, you know, when you consider also that Nate Phillips has had fantastic stats for us, okay, it's not the ideal central defensive partnership, but at this point we've been ravaged by injury, losing Henderson as well. That really cost us there. So, again, what this emphasises to us, particularly those Liverpool fans watching, is that we need to go out to market, is that we have relied so heavily on particular players to do the job and to be versatile for us when, when other key players have been injured that we just don't have that depth. And you need to have that depth. You need to have that depth if you want to continue to compete in Europe, if you want to continue to compete for the domestic title. Um, Klopp has a habit of making really poor decisions when it comes to Champions League games. I mean, I remember you only have to cast your mind back to the whole Loris Cardius debate um, at the time, particularly when he cost us in that Champions League final against Real. You know, and I remember Klopp coming out of the press at the time saying things like, well, you know, if I don't, because he was under pressure, right? He was being consistently asked, why do you keep playing Cardius in these big Champions League matches? And he said, well, if I don't give these players these opportunities, particularly when it comes to number two goalkeepers, I'm always then having to go out to market at the end of the season to look for another number two. Well, we saw how well that worked out. I think in this case, did he get it wrong by making that substitution at that time? I think so, but I think he lost his head. I think he himself is very frustrated with Naby mm. Keita and the fact that he hasn't worked out. And, you know, I was waiting for reports to come out that perhaps Keita was carrying something, which is why he came off. No, reports came out it was purely tactical. Um, and I think maybe that that was sending a message to him. But in terms of that particular lineup. I don't think he had too many other options. He didn't have too many other choices in this regard. So, you know, it's a really tough situation to be in at this point because for us it's looking like we could slip out of Europe. We could slip out of yeah. Champions League contention. 
And as we look to wrap up on this, um, you know, for me, I would have thought that now would be the prime opportunity to start really throwing everything that you've got at the Champions League because yeah. this is going to be your one lifeline. Um, but, you know, as we saw with Manchester City, again, they're another club stolage that everyone is talking about with the highest of regard that could potentially be up there in the end. Um, you asked if, well, we asked generally if City are in trouble. I don't think they are. I think they'll be pretty comfortable. Um, at this stage, as we've said, historically, Dortmunds do struggle. But that away goal, it could prove to be very, very crucial, particularly when you're coming up against one of the best strikers in the world at the moment in Haaland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I thought Haaland did actually really well to set up Royce uh, for the goal. But it was a very oh. poor performance uh, from City, I thought, um, whether this is just a blip or, you know, something more. Um, but I agree. I think City will score over in Germany. So, therefore, you know, Dortmund are going to have to get two, maybe three goals, um, and then that will play into uh, City's favour. So, I, I think City probably will get through, and maybe it's a good wake-up call for them. But crucial goal from Phil Foden right at the end to really give them that advantage. Had it been 1-1, then I think it's a much difficult, much more difficult uh, tie for City. So, you know, crucial that he stepped up and a wonderful pass from De Bruyne uh, to find Gundogan. And, you know, Gundogan against his old team as well. You know, that was kind of interesting uh, dynamic of it. But, you know, City... Yeah, probably this is good for them to get that wake-up call, to know that they have to step up when it comes to the Champions League. They've been absolutely walking the Premier League, but they cannot have that same level of performance in the Champions League. Ryan Tavakol via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Ryan. Great to have your company, mate. Although City conceded an away goal, they should cruise past them in the second leg. I tend to agree. Um, And again, you know, with COVID restrictions, et cetera, you won't have the yellow wall fully blaring and the advantage of, you know, playing at home in front of home fans. So I think in that regard, unless Haaland scores you know, five or six, which, let's be honest, it could bloody happen. Anything can happen in football. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Very controversial too, I have to say, how that goal um, wasn't allowed. Um, Jude Bellingham, yeah. It was terrible. To me, that actually looked like a foul on Edison and not the other so it was just, again, the VAR, I mean, we, we talk about these types of calls in football all the time, but the VAR for me, um, of course, it's only supposed to intervene when there are absolute howlers stolage, but, you know, the take on this was what exactly? Well, my understanding was because it was a outside the box, it's not a penalty incident, so VAR doesn't um, intervene on fouls just during the game, which is kind of, you know, what it was. It was just during in the middle of the pitch. But, of course, if the referee had let play play on, then the goal is scored, then VAR can review because it's a goal. It's a goal. But the referee blew his whistle prior to the ball, you know, being in the net. So I think it's a bad call from the referee, um, first of all, for the foul and to not let play run on. And it's probably cost Dortmund what would be a very crucial goal. Yeah, look, to be honest, I think that this tie would have been done and dusted either way because City will just be too strong against the Dortmund side that, again, said it a million times now. Historically, they just they don't have enough to be able to get through. And when you gut them of Haaland, it's going to be interesting to see where this kid goes because now the price tags, you know, wandering around him at the moment are in excess of $100 million. Pep Guardiola and co have come out in the press and said effectively that, you know, they 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 don't want to spend $100 million on a particular player, yeah, right? And that's that- a hell of a lot of money. And I know that inflation, you know, comes to, to effect in all of this when you consider what they've paid for the likes of Pogba, what Neymar attracted, et cetera, but... 100 million? Is he worth 100 million? To me, this is all just posturing. This is all, all clubs are going to say, oh, we're not going to pay that much money. Oh, we're not going to go in for that. When it comes down to it, if they want him, they'll pay. And Dortmund are going to get a big fat fee for him, and so is Mina Raiola. 
<laughs> He's busy shopping him and his family around to all, all and sundry at the moment. Anyways, moving on, guys. It's time to welcome our first special guest for the program. Since his return to the A-League, he has been absolutely setting the stage on fire. My God, I love watching this football club, and I have loved watching this football club throughout the season, but throw in a guy like Craig Goodwin, and I tell you what, it makes them absolutely electrifying. Welcome to the show, our man Craig Goodwin. Great to have you company, Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making the time for us. We're so appreciative. I meant everything I said because Adelaide have been playing some great football, but they were missing something, right? They've brought in Tommy Yordich, who unfortunately has still been struggling to try and get his body right, etc. It's been a stop-start season for him. But you came in and you've completely changed the dynamic. You have been incredible from the moment that you stepped foot on the pitch for them in your re-debut, if you want to call it that, for the club. You've been unbelievable. Goody. How great has it been to be back in the country and also to be in the form that you're in as well? Yeah, obviously it's been really good. Um, it's been a great start. Um, and obviously performance-wise for the team, it's gone really well barring the last match. Um, but my, for myself, coming back from Saudi, um, being in Australia, it's much more comfortable now. Um, you know, obviously it's uh, over there can be quite challenging for, for a lot of aspects. Um, but, yeah, just happy to be here um, for the time that I am and to try and contribute as much as I can um, for Adelaide. Can you talk us through what your spell in Saudi was like? I mean, you mentioned some of the challenges there, but for those that don't know um, what some of those difficulties can be like, can you talk us through them and give us some insight? Um, yeah, so I'll try and I'll try and cut a little bit short because it can it can be a I guess a bit of a long story. Um, but for me, obviously, I went over there and my first season was very good. Um, you know, I, I went to uh, Weheda, um and we finished fourth on the ladder and made the Asian Asian Champions League spot. I finished with ten goal, uh, ten assists, four goals, um, and got um, voted by. Um, the media as one of the best players of the season. Um, so it was a really good first season, um, really enjoyable. Um, and, but as Saudi is in football and, and football is, it changes really quickly. Um, so throughout that year, even though we finished fourth, we changed coaches three times and then we changed coach again coming into the start of the second season. And with one week left on the transfer window, he decided, um, that he wanted to bring in his own Portuguese player. Um, two players. So me and a, and a centre back, um, were sacrificed for that. Um, but the director at the club didn't want me to leave entirely. So he wouldn't, they wouldn't let me leave on a, on a transfer. Um, and they wouldn't let me leave it alone unless I was, um, unless I re-signed for another year. Um, so it was a situation where I, I could sit and kind of fight or, or whatnot, but I decided that I, I did like it there um, and wanted to keep playing, but I wanted to keep playing football. I wasn't prepared to, you know, kind of sit there and, and fight and, and not play, sit on the bench as such, just because a new coach uh, came in and deemed that I wasn't good enough for them. So I went out on loan to Abhar Club. Um, and, yeah, for that, I guess for, for the first half uh, of that season, I played 16 games, um, was doing really well. We were sitting fifth on the ladder. Um, but for personal reasons, um, one of them being, I guess, the, the pregnancy of my, my partner, Caitlin, um, we wanted to come back um, to Australia. Um, but overall, we just weren't really happy in, in the second city. Um, there's a lot of challenges off the field as well, um, not having family and friends. Um, but moving to a place like Abha compared to Jeddah, where there's very minimal English, there's no compound. So there's no other people that are in a similar situation. 
Um, all the players in the team, um, there was only one other person that spoke uh, very little English. Um, so for, there was a lot of challenges. Um, and to be honest, it, it was nothing to do with, with not playing or, or not doing well um, because we were, when I left uh, APA, we were sitting fifth on the ladder, um, you know, and, and they didn't want to lose me. But for us, we decided that we wanted to come back to Australia. Um, so that was, uh, I guess, the, the decision behind it as, as such. And there are some a lot of challenges, um, I, I guess, culturally. It's, it's very different. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a small story of it. Wow, and it's no small story as well because when you consider all the challenges that you've had to go through, Goody, I mean, before I throw to Stolich for some questions, I think one of the biggest things that people underestimate, particularly when it comes to footballers, is how difficult it can be off the pitch if the environment isn't right, if, you know, you don't have family and friends around, if you are struggling culturally, if English isn't something that you can use to get by, if you've got a loved one there that's also feeling quite isolated. How important is it for players to be happy off the pitch as well? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think you even throw COVID into it as well. You know, it, it affects it even more. Um, you know, we had where we came, we came back to Australia as COVID hit and then the season was restarting. Um, so, uh, we, we had to go back over there. Um, but Caitlin's visa wasn't ready, um, to go there. Um, so I had to go by myself and then Caitlin came afterwards. Um, but then, uh, but, because of some restrictions or something, she ended up getting stuck in Dubai for six weeks. So sure. she was in a hotel in Dubai for six weeks by herself. Um, mm. So that's that's just one small small thing. And then eventually, when we we got her uh, into into Saudi, um, I travelled with someone from the club, and we drove or took a flight from Jeddah to Daman, which is two hours on the other side of the country, and drove four and a half hours to meet her at the border of UAE um, and Saudi. So, and she had driven from Dubai all the way up and we drove and got her across the border that way. So, you know, there's, there's some, there's some crazy challenges that, that happen. And, you know, you could sit here all day and talk about all the small different things that happen. And, and anyone that's played in, in that region will, will know there's, there's some things that, that happen that are, are just don't happen anywhere else in the world. Mm, yeah, really tough stuff. And we have to say a massive congratulations to you on behalf of all of us at the World Game. And everyone watching on your impending arrival, exciting stuff becoming a parent. That's going to be wonderful for you and Caitlin Stolich over you. Yeah, Thank Craig, you. I wanted to ask, you know, it's your third spell now at Adelaide United. What is different about the club this time? Is, you know, obviously you've got Bruce Chitte kind of in charge of the football operations, Carl Veed as coach. You know, you've had a few experiences at the club. What does it feel like this time? Because you guys are getting some pretty good results, four wins the last five games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think previously when I've been here, there's been, uh, I guess, a uh, I guess a foreign element uh, into it. Um, there's been foreign coaches um, whenever I've been here previously. Um, so this time I think it's really nice that, you know, we've got a, a very big uh, South Australian feel um, to it and people that have been involved at the club previously and, and know what it's about. Um, but for me, the biggest thing um, this time around, as I've said in a few interviews, I think there's some of the best youngsters that we've had uh, coming through at the club in quite a long time. And, you know, there's a good five, six players um, that for me have the potential to go on and, and play overseas if they can get that consistency. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to, to be a part of and to try and help those players. Um, but yeah, it's been a great start, you know, five uh, wins um, out of six. And, you know, 
we have a couple games in, in hand on, on uh, Central Coast and, and one game in hand on the teams above us. So, you know, we're in a great position, um, but hopefully we can keep going. Ivan Stragan, sorry, just one question yeah. uh, comment coming through before we get back to you, Stolich. Ivan Stragan via Facebook. Good afternoon to Ivan, one of our regular viewers here on the World Game Live. Great to have your company, mate. He said, credit where it's due, Adelaide have the best academy right now. So many players, and that speaks to your point there, Goody, about how many youngsters are coming through that have this South Australian flavour, um, which is hugely important. Stolich, back to you. Yeah, I just wanted to ask kind of on those young players, you know, like you say, they're very talented. It, it kind of reminds me of, of you. You were a very talented young player. You went to Holland. Um, you know, you were there for two years. You had some good moments. You had some tough moments. Uh, it seems like, you know, you were in a relegation battle. That can't be easy. Um, what advice would you give to those young players if they're coming to the likes of the Torre brothers, Yangi, you know, these young players, what advice would you give to them, whether it's about choosing the right club, choosing the right environment, um, the mentality that you need to succeed over there? Um, yeah, look, I, I think first and foremost is, is getting game time and getting as much game uh, minutes as you can. I think that's the biggest thing that can um, improve you as a player. Um, and getting that match experience. Um, for me, it's, it's a tough one, you know, because you can speak a, a lot about with young players, is it too early to go or is it not? And for me, I always think that if you have an opportunity to, to go to Europe, you, you can't say no. You know, if it's the right, if it's the right fit, you can't say no because you don't know what's going to happen in, in the next six months or year. What happens if they got an injury? Um, did an ACL and then, you know, that, that opportunity never came up again. So mm. for me, when the opportunity is there, you have to take it, but you have to, you know, go over with the, I guess, a strong mentality. Um, and for me, I would say that the earlier you can get to, to Europe, uh, and in that system, the better. Um, because then you have more years, um, I guess, to train under that way and under that system and be involved in that environment and keep learning. And you have more time to be able to, you know, not play so many games in the first team uh, and still learn in that environment. So when you're coming of age um, and getting older, um, then you're in, in a position to, to do well. But then, yeah, on the flip side, you know, getting games is extremely important. A question coming through from one of our Facebook viewers, Nathan Evans. Uh, good afternoon to you, Nathan. Thanks for your question, mate. Great to have your company here on TWG Live. Craig, he wants to know, would you consider coming back to play permanently in Australia? And this sort of feeds into what we're talking about in terms of your career trajectory, the fact that even the advice to the younger players is to go. Would that advice also be to players in, in your age bracket and in, in and around that sort of age bracket to still, if you get an opportunity overseas, to go? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the uh, being in Australia, you know, that's it's not where the best football in the world is. And growing up, everyone will know Europe is where you want to be. Um, that's as, as a young player, that's that's where you want to be. But then, as you get a bit older, you also think about life experiences and different things that you can you can take as well. So, you know, I think for and even being um, playing in Holland. Um, you know, the, the Dutch players there always said, like, I'd love to go play in, in Australia or play in America or play in, in a different country for different life experiences, you know. So for me, um, you know, I love playing at Adelaide. Um, you know, it's probably been some of the most enjoyable uh, moments of my career. Um, I have another contract um, for next season in Saudi. Um, but, you know, to what's going to happen, I don't know um, in terms of the future. I love it at Adelaide. You know, I think if I could play more in, in Australia, um, obviously preferably Adelaide, um, I would love to. 
you know, it would be, I guess if I came back again, you know, it could be a, a forced in Adelaide or somewhere else in, in Australia. But, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not too sure on what's going to happen. But I do, I do love it in Australia. I love the environment around the club at Adelaide. Um, and for me, it's, it's something that I always cherish. Um, so for my time here, I'm making the most of it, trying to give um, the best that I can. And, and hopefully we can have some more, some more success. Um, but to, as to what happens in, in the future, it's definitely a possibility, but I'm not sure. I'm sure the Reds faithful would absolutely love to keep you. Yeah. So there's a couple more questions before we say goodbye to Goody. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask uh, about uh, one of your teammates. We talked about some of the young players there, but one of your teammates, uh, Ben Halloran, uh, he's come back uh, to the A-League. I think he's done fantastic, but I think he's a bit underrated. Um, what is he like as a teammate and what do you think he brings to the team? I think Ben's been excellent um, since he's come back uh, to Adelaide. I think as as a teammate um, in the change room as well, he's a really good person to have around the change room. Um, you know, he brings the boys together. He's a great character. Um, I get along with him really well. So, um, yeah, for for me, playing with Ben is is very good, um, really enjoyable. Um, he's got a lot of pace, um, and he's very smart as well. Um, so he makes he makes good runs. He makes good decisions in in and around the final third. Um, but he's, he doesn't shy away from, from any of the defensive side as well. So he's not afraid to do, um, I guess, those, uh, those extra kilometres or, or the dirty metres um, for some other players as well. You know, I think absolutely he's probably a bit underrated, um, you know, for, for the work that he does. Um, but he's a very crucial player to, to our team. And, and the run that we've been on, he's been, um, you know, very important to that. Yeah. Who do you feel are your biggest rivals so far in the competition? I mean, we know that Central Coast Mariners have set the bar high. They're sitting on 30 points. There's only five points between you. But as you pointed out earlier, you've got a couple of games in hand. We've seen Melbourne City start to perform really strongly in their last sort of six matches or so. And then MacArthur have also silently started to creep up the ladder as well with some strong um, results too. But who do you feel are the ones that you're really gunning for this season? Um. Yeah, look, to be honest, it's tough to say because, um, you know, it is chopping and changing and, the, and the, there are teams that have some games in hand. So, you know, if they win that, the, the complexion of the table changes um, and it is quite an even season. Um, obviously, you have to say Central Coast have been excellent this year. Um, I would say I don't think um, the football that they've played has been as, uh, as keen on the eye as probably what Melbourne City are doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're... They're battling extremely well, and all their players are, are performing well. Um, and you know, that, I think that's the biggest thing that Central Coast have done this year is they're winning the battle um, before you know playing playing the football, and and they're they're winning their their fifty fifty duels and and everything like that. And that's what making them that's what's making them so hard to beat at the moment. Um, you know, I think they will continue. You know, I think they'll continue to be up there come the end of the season. Um, but Melbourne City as well, I think, is uh, a danger a danger team. Uh, one final question coming through from one of our viewers, Eduardo, Eduardo Andres. Thanks for your comment and question, Eduardo. What is Carl like as a manager, he wants to know? He seems very laid back. Um, he does have that side. Um, but I think anyone that knows um, Carl and Ross um, back from their playing days, you'll know exactly what their demeanour was like. So, Absolute <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. They um they can be laid back um, first and foremost. But you know, whenever we need to be uh, 
you need to be told up, uh, told off, or you know, a bit of fire under the under the seat. They they're definitely prepared to do that. So yeah, they're they're really good. You know, both of uh, Ross and Carl have been excellent. Um, but I've really enjoyed working uh, with Carl so far, and and hopefully we can have uh, a, a good a good solid season and and be right up there come the end of it. No, it'll be fantastic to see you guys are playing some tremendous football. You have been absolutely mm. sensational. Thank you for making the time for us. I believe your next game is this weekend against the Wanderers, if I'm correct, yes? Yes, on Saturday. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to keep track with all the chops and changes and, you know, everything going on with the fixtures, so sometimes you never know. But we wish you all the very best in that game. And, and Goody, you know, well, going forward, whether you stay in the A-League or go abroad, I mean, obviously you've got another year left in your contract uh, with your club in Saudi, but we wish you all the very best. You're a real superstar, and um, and we can't, see, we can't wait to see you continue to do some really great things for Australian football, mate. Take care. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Oh, there, there we go. go. Great to great to have Goody there. Um, surely we're going to catch up with Ante Jordic as well. We've just um, had a couple of technical difficulties. I'm sure he's going to rejoin us back here in the waiting room before we can welcome him back, though. But Adelaide United, we talk a lot about this South Australian influence there, but it's it's paid off in absolute spades, Stolich, because when you consider what they've got at the very top, right, so you've got Bruce Chitte, who's the director of football, who's really pulling the strings, but then having the likes of Carl Viet, you know, a former player at the club, a South Australian, very connected to the roots, understands what's going on at the grassroots, particularly in state league football, but then to also have someone like Ross Aloisi, again, South Australian, knows and understands what the region is about, a very parochial region who are very passionate and love their football club, but for someone like that, now coming into this, you can see why why it's been paying off for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you can just even think about it, you know, how he was saying his relationship with Ben Halloran, another, um, you know, local. That it all, it all helps. It all helps bring the team around. And I think it's no kind of uh, coincidence that if you look at some of the great teams, you know, overseas, they had a strong local contingent. You know, you think of like Manchester United and the class of 92, a lot of those guys from Manchester, that helps, you know, build the group. Same with kind of the Barcelona team under Pep Guardiola. A lot of teams, a lot of players coming from the exact same, you know, academy, same era. They've grown up in the same system. That really helps build team unity. It helps cohesion uh, on and off the pitch. And I think Adelaide United are reaping the rewards. And I think the, their fans are really responding to their home team. They have a strong identity. And I really appreciate that as a neutral. Well, here's another team that's been reaping the rewards. Sydney FC in the W League. They've been absolutely sensational, crowned the premiers, and they put out a statement, statement victory, put out a statement victory over Canberra United recently in the W League final series. Now they've qualified for the grand final in emphatic fashion, and we're absolutely delighted to welcome the great Ante Juric slash AJ to the show, W League head coach of the Sky Blues. AJ, thank you so much for making the time for us. First and foremost, we have to say, Congratulations on two fronts. Congratulations on being the crown, on being crowned the premiers, and then congratulations on that massive result against Canberra United in the final series, the first of the final series at the weekend. Um, you must be absolutely delighted with the form that you're carrying into this grand final, given that it was a bit choppy coming towards the pointy end of the season. Yeah, I'm delighted for the girls first and foremost. Um, just for the hard work they've put in since pre-season. People don't realise the effort you put in. And to get success from all that effort is pleasing for them um, and obviously for the club to be uh, in a fourth grand final, but also to get a first premiership after 10 years. So I'm very proud, very happy. Um, yeah, we had a little rough uh, time at the end of the 
season in terms of games, but there was uh, reasons probably for that when you take things into context. But, yeah, the last two games have been superb. Can I ask you, what's been the secret to your success this season? Because we've seen some fantastic individual performances. I mean, Teresa Polias, what a star she has been. Um, the Dead Ball Specialist, she's been fantastic to watch and welcome back to the competition. But what do you feel are the key ingredients behind your success this season? Just hard work. Um, hard work, really. It's, it's not hard. Um, and trying to be selfless. So everything we do is for each other, um, on the park, off the park. Um, that's the key is key ingredient. Um, outside of that, the girls are quite close, so that helps in a lot of ways. But really, it's just hard work, um, doing the right things, and uh, being selfless is uh, one of the words I use a lot. <laughs> so does that mean, AJ, then the other clubs have been slacking off? Oh, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I don't, I don't think. I don't think they have. Um, you know, we, or maybe I push them a bit more. I don't know. But in saying that, you need quality players, and these girls mm-hmm. are quality. So, um, you know, if everyone works the hardest and we've got some better players or some good players in there, you know, you're going to be successful. That usually happens all around the world. But no, they wouldn't be slacking off. But I've got some quality in there. Um, they might be young, but they're girls that um, I hope I do this anyway. Bring out some belief in them and some. Uh, confidence in them, and then it all comes good in the end. Stolich, over to you. Some questions for AJ. Yeah, I wanted to know, uh, AJ, this game against Canberra, talk us through it. You know, it was a, it was an impressive uh, win for Sydney. But, you know, there were some nervy moments. You know, also, how did you feel about Michelle Heyman kind of coming out of the lineup? That was a bit of a surprise. Uh, I believe she had an injury. Um, talk us through your kind of emotions during this game. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, again, you know, like I keep saying, I'm very confident what I do, but also what the team can do. And we played them a couple of weeks ago and we drew nil all, but all the media was saying Canberra will win and Canberra will do this and Canberra will do that, which sometimes that, happens. Yeah, that was me. But, that was me, actually. Yeah, probably, probably. You're probably one of the, one of the 762 that said it. But, but in all honesty, I try and keep the girls in check and, you know, tell them the context of things. You know, we didn't play for three weeks. We've had an injury in the first 10 minutes. Just relax. Everything's going to be fine. We we are what we are and one of the best teams in the league. Um, so I knew we were going to win. I'll be honest with you. I knew we were going to win on the weekend. I was super confident. You know, you just have to do the right things. The only worry for me was a little bit of fatigue from the Wednesday and the first half probably showed that. But again, we were at our probably at 50% in the first half and we still, you know, we were one up. So again, hope it doesn't sound too arrogant, but I was super confident we'd, we'd get uh, to the grand final. Now, we like a bit of arrogance and we like some confidence. Um, and I, and I want to know then from your perspective, you felt confident coming into this game against Canberra. How do you feel about things against the victory in the grand final? Because, I mean, that, that game that decided the Premier's plate, I thought, right, you guys obviously had the better share of the chances, but I thought it was a pretty equally, equally matched affair. And I was quite thrilled by the game overall right up until the dying minutes in injury time. Um, but what are your feelings like ahead of that against the victory? Because they absolutely demolished, absolutely demolished Brisbane and they look like they're equally just as hungry. Yeah, the victory is a little bit different. Victory, um, I'm still confident, don't get me wrong with that, but I know this is a tougher match. Um, they're, you know, very very similar to us, play a very similar style to us, um, probably more experienced than us in a lot of ways. 
Um, but they're matched up and we've had tough games for three or four years with them. So this one can go either way. Sometimes these kind of games are more on who wants to, which player wants to step up um, and doing the right things and not making mistakes and you'll get a winner from that. But yeah, again, I'm confident because we, our girls have stepped up the whole year. Um, but this game is going to be a little bit different and a lot tougher, but a great game for for everyone to watch, I think. What are some of the lessons that you took out of that game against the victory? Of course, as we said, you, you emerged the victors winning the Premier's plate, but what are some things you'll be looking to correct ahead of Sunday? Um, probably execution, front third. Like we dominated that game, I believe. Um, we were really into it and we were, we were really up for that one. Um, you could see in the eyes before the game. But just dominate so when we do dominate executing and probably taking our chances we had two or three superb chances which um, in all due respect the keeper did save them off the line so she was on the top of her game but you need to punish those um, or take those chances in finals and um, just to give you a little bit of breathing space you don't take those chances it becomes a real tight battle Tight battle. Look at that tight knit relationship that you've got with the players there, celebrating and coming to embrace you. Um, as you said earlier, it's such a, t- a really tight group that you've got going on there. Before I throw back to Stolich for another question, I'd love to know. We talk a lot about the more high profile players. Obviously, you've got a younger squad this time around, but who do you feel are the unsung heroes? Who should those of us in the media really be talking about? The ones that are putting in the hard yards behind the scenes, that are just going quietly about their business on the park. Oh, there's so many. There's just so many, really. Um, someone like Ajata Wyman, who's had a tough two or three years at the Wanderers um, with injury and probably not playing the best, has been outstanding for us. And she's still only 2021. 20, um, she stepped up and improved her game with focus and obviously ability. Um, Charlotte McLean's coming from the NPL from nowhere. You know, no one would have heard of her. She's played every single game, probably every single minute. If, if I'm correct, I'm not sure about that, but close. Um, and not just play, but do a superb job. Um, then you've got Claire Wheeler, who I'm proud about, who everyone knows, um, and mm-hmm. she's played a long time, but all of a sudden she's a playmaker, you know, in people's eyes, but she's confident and attacking and scored goals, and so I'm proud about that. She's probably not a someone that everyone does expect to do well, but probably not in those circumstances. Um, uh, Mackenzie Hawksby, who for me is a future Matilda if she continues what she's doing, but you know, no one probably would have even picked her name out of anywhere, but she's a, probably a, a up-and-coming kind of Chloe Legazzo player, and I remember talking to her about if she just scored goals, she'd get everyone's attention, and now she's doing that. So I'm just glad mm-hmm. they're doing well. Um and then people are starting to step up and notice uh, these young players. And it's a testament to your coaching and man management, the fact that you're giving these young players an opportunity. And we've been talking a lot about this W League season having a different complexion because of a lot a lot of our stars, they did drift off overseas. So it's been great to see these younger ones really rise into the crop. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, AJ, i got to know. Uh, you're going to come up against this weekend one of your former players, Lisa Devanna. We all know her. She's a <laughs> fantastic, iconic player. But... A coach and a player always has that special relationship and always a coach knows a, a player's strengths and their weaknesses. So going into this weekend, how are you looking to kind of stop Lisa? How are you looking? Is there anything that you kind of have a, by coaching her for those years that you know her well? Is there anything that you can kind of gain from that information? Get her fired up. Get her sent off. That's probably the <laughs> yeah. thing <I'd> <laughs> Well, we, yeah, that's probably the way. It's not how I'll giggle her before the game, maybe. So, 
<laughs> but does she does she I've play better when she's fired up, or, or do, no. do you think? Uh, it's a bit of bit of hit and miss. So I'll probably say a bit of hit and miss. Yes, sometimes. Um, sometimes, yeah, maybe you should just tell her she's the best player in the world and this and that, and then she'll relax a bit and then maybe not do so well. But no, in all seriousness, she's. I loved her here at Sydney. We had a good relationship. She um, did super well. She's a tough player to stop. You probably need two players, three players, you know, making sure you cover each other to stop her. Um, but, yeah, she was outstanding the other day. One thing we definitely won't do is give her that much space. But, mm-hmm. but she had a, yeah, she could dribble into anything the other day. So we won't give her that space. But, yeah, we just hope she has a bit of an off day. Because world-class players like that, it's sometimes hard to stop. Um, but as a unit, we'll do everything we can to. Oh, well, we're looking so forward to seeing the girls in action, of course, this Sunday, the W League Grand Final, the pinnacle of the season, uh, and it's actually being played on a proper surface. Praise the, the football gods for agreeing to allow that to go ahead because it's really important, particularly for the players and the quality of the football match that we're going to see as well. So we wish you all the best, AJ. Thank you for making the time for us here at the World Game. We appreciate everything. Congratulations on the season that was, and whatever happens uh, come Sunday, you should be so proud of all of your achievements. So thank you so much, mate. No, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Yes, AJ. Yes, great to have the company of AJ there. And I want to move swiftly on to someone else's company who we're always looking forward to here on the World Game Live. We could not not have her on today's program because there's so on in women's in women's football at the moment, notwithstanding the W League Grand Final coming up, which we want to hear all of her thoughts and insights on, but also the upcoming friendlies that the Matildas have too. Samantha Lewis, women's football expert, contributor to The Guardian, The World Game, Optus, ESPN. It is so great to have your company once again. Tell us, how are you feeling? Is that your doorbell, Nick Stoll? Is that maybe Yeah, I don't know. I, they're so excited to see Sam. They, my neighbours want to come in. I'm going <laughs> to... Bring him in, bring him in, the more the merrier. We're going to go and answer the door, if you can believe it. I'll, I'll just carry the show on my own then, no worries. <laughs> I, hope it's a, I hope it's a box of Krispy Kremes. It's better be worth your while to get up and interrupt the show. Sam, tell us, how are you feeling ahead of the W League Grand Final? We've just heard from Ante Jordic, uh, Sydney FC, W League head coach. You're obviously in the know about things. Are you wearing a Sydney FC jersey as well? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Happening? (laughs) Okay, well, we're clear about where your allegiances lie. But what are your feelings like coming into the game on Sunday? Confident? I am so excited. I I wouldn't say confident, I don't think, because after you watch a performance like Melbourne Victory put on against Brisbane Raw, I think most teams would be absolutely terrified. Um. But Sydney FC, I mean, I think they have been the most consistent team this season. We saw that they did defeat Melbourne Victory to win the Premiership plate. Um, and they had to really dig deep in order to win the semi final over Canberra because Canberra, even though they were missing Michelle Heyman, they were quite good. They had most yeah. of the possession. They created some really good chances that were just inches away from being scored. But Sydney were able to pull out the big guns and the big moments when they counted. And one of the things that I really loved about Sydney's performance against Canberra was that the players that stepped up to score those goals weren't necessarily the players you expected. You know, you had Ali Green score her debut W League goal for Sydney, that absolute cracker strike from like 35 yards or something. You saw Claire Wheeler, as Ante said, 
step up and score a goal and Mackenzie Hawksby as well. So even though there was the loss of Courtney Vine against Canberra only a couple of weeks ago and a lot of people, including me, were like, oh no, what's going to happen now? We're seeing actually that Sydney FC have much more attacking depth than perhaps we gave them credit for. And I wrote about that for my Guardian column today um, because Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory are the two two teams who have really adapted to these kinds of forces that have uh, buffeted them from outside. They've spread a lot of their responsibility across the team. Um, they haven't just relied on a Michelle Heyman or an Emily Gilnick in order to produce results. And so that's what I think makes this a really exciting grand final because it's going to be quite unpredictable. We don't know which of these players are going to step up because so many of them are capable of doing it. And we spoke about Lisa Devana and the impact that she can have um, in any football team that she's a part of and whether or not it's better to fire her up or let her just go about her business. I tend to think she does well either way, to be fair, um, because she's always going to be a threat. She's always going to pose a lot of danger. But I asked Ante Jordic, and I'm not sure if you heard the question, who some of the unsung heroes were for Sydney FC, but who else could we direct our attention to with the same question, the same context in the Melbourne Victory Squad? Who do you feel are some of their other threats that we're not really talking about? About as much? Yeah, it's a really good question. And again, in the piece that I wrote for The Guardian, one of the players that I focused on was Melina Ayres. Because even mm-hmm. though Lisa Devanna had a sensational performance against Brisbane Raw, Melina Ayres scored a hat trick. I think a lot yeah. of people are forgetting yeah. that. And yeah. in that hat trick, it took her to third on the total season golden boot ladder just below Emily Gilnick and Michelle Heyman. So Melina Ayres has really stepped up this season. Like She's been around Melbourne Victory for quite a while and the news at the start of the season that she was offered a three-year contract with Melbourne Victory I think flew a little bit under the radar. But that shows yeah. that the club have a lot of faith in her and that they see that she has a lot of potential. And she's still only 21. She has so much left to give. And the fact yeah. that she's already improving in leaps and bounds I think is really exciting. And, you know, alongside her you've also got someone like Melina uh, Mindy Barbieri, uh, mm-hmm. who has came, come back from an ACL injury in the last couple of years. I think she's been absolutely sensational in Victory's midfield, alongside Cara Cooney Cross, of course. She's obviously going to be oh. a future midfielder. We know how amazing she's been. But, you know, she's got the sort of the hype and the reputation to, to work with there. Um, but another player who I've really rated has been Polly Doran, uh, Melbourne oh, yeah. Victory's right back, who and is... Hopkins- spoke about her last week and I said I couldn't agree more Jeff because she's been fantastic great work rate everything everything she's just sensational she's excellent yeah she's so physical on the ball she's really smart she's really patient and she's not afraid to challenge players who may be bigger or stronger or faster than her um, so it's just a really nice reflection, I think, these kinds of players who have stepped up from the MPL and now that they're being given this opportunity are showing that actually they are worthy of these platforms. They are worthy of continuing to be professional footballers. They just need to be given that chance. We're a little bit off topic here, but I want to ask this question because we didn't get time to canvas it with AJ. Before I throw to you, Stolich, for a question for Sam and we welcome our next special guest for the program. But Ryan Tavakol wants to know what I think a lot of us want to know. I mean, some of us will have our theories about what happened to Brisbane Raw, given the fact that Claire Polkinghorne and Gilnick left. But he says uh, via Facebook, thanks for your question. Ryan, I'm a Raw fan and I could not believe how the Raw got thrashed like that because we had a stellar season. Um, I touched on the two key losses losses for them there um, and also the fact that Katrina Gorry too um, was out of the squad but how did you explain that performance was it down to their losses or was there something else behind the surface there Sam? 
I think it was a, a multifaceted kind of a game in terms of the problems that Brisbane Raw were facing. So you had the loss of Emily Gilnick, who was the Golden Boot winner. Uh, she scored over half of Brisbane's goals across the season. She had twice as many shots on goal than any other player in the league. And when Brisbane Raw decided to start using Emily Gilnick as their number nine, you could sort of see the way that the team became much more comfortable and confident around that in terms of their system. And so when you lose a player like that, there is a huge void that's being that needs to be filled by someone. And so Brisbane brought in someone like Larissa Crummer, who is a natural striker, but because she hadn't been playing regularly with those players in that system, it was obviously not going to have the same effect. Um, and in terms of the defensive issues as well, like you've lost Claire Polkinghorn. Claire Polkinghorn is not just the captain of Brisbane Raw, but as Amy Chapman said on the broadcast, she's also probably still the best centre-back Australia, like Australia has produced, who is still currently playing. So Mm -hmm. she offered so much for Brisbane Raw in terms of the stability, in terms of her work rate, in terms of her leadership. And so when you have a player like that leave and uh, bringing in uh, to replace her someone like Winona Heatley, who is still a really young player, this is her first W League season, she still isn't quite sure of the dynamics of of moving into a centre-back position after being played at at right-back for most of the season and then having to shuffle across Caitlin Torpy, who's more of an attacking player, moving her into right back the two of them those two young players together Lisa Devanna just ran rings around them um but you know in saying that it's again Melbourne Victory played really really well it was probably their best performance of the entire season so it was a matter of Brisbane Raw perhaps not being quite as good as they had been and Melbourne Victory being even better absolute absolute best they were A-League memes Brisbane Raw was robbed I loved how earlier they said that Sam was biased because she's wearing a Sydney FC shirt, yet we know that whoever's running the account today is a Brisbane Raw fan. So who's biased now, you fucking jokers? Put your criticism away. And I'm sure that you might have to get um, your shirt and put that away for just a brief moment as we welcome our next special guest to the program. She's been an absolute star uh, for Melbourne Victory. She's none other than their captain, Angie Beard. Welcome to the show. Sammy, we want to keep you hanging around for this. Um, as I've said, Angie, Sam might have to take off that disgusting shirt in your eyes uh, at this point of the grand final this Sunday. But tell us, how are you feeling? How are the nerves? How are the emotions? And, and what are the expectations of how the game is going to go from your end? Yeah, I have no uh, hard feelings for Sam Sure, That's fine, each to their own. Uh, but in terms, of, <laughs> uh, in terms of looking back on the semi-final, looking forward to the grand final, uh, our semi-final was our third game in our week. So mm-hmm. mentally and physically it was exhausting, let alone the emotional pressure of a semi-final as well. Uh, I'm very proud with how the girls turned up and the system that we decided to play against Brisbane Raw. Uh, I'm very happy with the coaching staff and everything um, in that regard. And in terms of the grand final, I think something that we have going for us, especially after the loss last Wednesday, is a bit of redemption, a bit of revenge that we're kind of hunting. And mm-hmm. yeah, we may have lost one chance to get that premiership play, but the championship trophy is still up for grabs. And that's the most important trophy. Stolich, over to you. Some questions for Angie. 
Yeah, Angie, I wanted to ask about that game a week ago. What did the team kind of learn from that? Obviously, you guys are keen to get revenge, but what kind of lessons did you take out of it that, you know, maybe it's a change in, in tactics, maybe it's a, uh, something that you want to identify, maybe you can't reveal too much. I don't know if uh, Jeff will get angry at you. But, yeah, what did you take out of that game? Yeah, and Sydney FC's mole over here is going to run back and pull them all this. I probably won't reveal too much. Um, I guess the obvious thing is on Wednesday night in terms of producing goal-scoring opportunities, it wasn't our best. And as you saw on Sunday night, we probably produced our best attacking football in that game. So in terms of the one big difference and the one change that we're going to make and really try and nail on the weekend is making more opportunities going forward and more scoring opportunities. Sammy, over to you. Some questions for Angie. Yeah, Angie, is there one or two players at Sydney FC who you think are most dangerous? Like we know, of course, Teresa Polias is extraordinary, but are there any others maybe outside of their captain that you're most worried about? Yeah, I think outside of T as a leader and a kind of workhorse for Sydney FC, Obviously, Remy Simpson is a big threat up front. She knows how to score from a lot of different areas and, yeah, a lot of different uh, attributes that she has compared to the other uh, strikers that they have, such as Prini Abini. And I think another player that we really need to try and put in a little box is Claire Wheeler. She's really getting better and better each game that she's playing this season and she's kind of flown under the radar a little bit but she creates a lot of goal-scoring opportunities and she tracks back her runners and makes things very difficult going forward. Talk to us about, you know, what Jeff said to you in the aftermath of that loss um, and how we kind of got the, the team to recalibrate and sort of refocus their minds and their attention then to the game against Brisbane and now sort of what his messages have been ahead of the grand final. Because he's, he's, he seems like outwardly he's quite a cool, calm and collected character, but what's he like inwardly with the girls and, and the dressing room? Yeah, at heart, he's a centre-back. So in terms of the two goals that we scored, that piece, he, he obviously wasn't too happy with that. Uh, with the games being so close together, it's kind of hard to move on so quickly, having the premiership and then having a game where we had to bring some good form into the finals. And now we've actually got a week where we can properly set up a schedule and properly set up uh, strategic games, strategic uh, training drills where we are working on what we're trying to break down um, with Sydney FC. Uh, and I think it was a big game and the first big game for a lot of our players in the W League. Uh, players like Lisa Devanna, Annalie Longo, Amy Jackson have been in games with that high pressure and that uh, premiership and titles hanging in, the, hanging in the results. So it's important that a lot of our girls, such as Polly Doran and Kayla Morrison, got into the feel of a game where it's not only you have to win, but you have to win and play with such high intensity for 90 minutes or even in some cases 120. So I think that's something that Jeff was really trying to drill into us is that it's uh, it's a great experience to expose yourself to a game with that kind of pressure. Uh, comment slash question coming through from Paul Tags via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Paul. Great to have your company on TWG Live, mate. Angie, he wants to know, Melbourne victory peaking at the right moment. Great coaching. Wonder if he'll, as in Jeff, will change to a more defensive 
approach for the final. I personally can't see that happening because I feel like it's a part of Melbourne Victory's DNA to be quite aggressive and attacking. But have there been any more discussions, Angie, about perhaps being a little bit more conservative? Because we know that grand finals, we always expect them to be firecrackers, but sometimes there's so much at stake, so much more involved that you can see teams start to sort of just shut up shop a little bit. Yeah, it's part of the game, obviously, scoring goals. And, and obviously, to win the game, you can't have to make sure that you're not conceding that many goals and not putting your team under pressure where you're making 60, 70-metre runs backwards if you're trying to have a Karakuni Cross or Annalie Longo make driving forward runs. Uh, Jeff, as I said before, is a centre-back back in his day, so rest defence is a big thing in his game. And that's something that we've been working on all season. Uh, do I think that we as a collective, we'll try and be more defensive. I, I, I don't see that happening. I think we're really trying to bring this game to Sydney FC and, and show off our big threats up front like Lisa and like Melaires. Stolich, over to you, and then we'll bounce over to Sammy before we say goodbye to Angie. Yeah, Angie, I just wanted to kind of talk to you about being the captain. You know, what what kind of leadership do you bring to the team? What does that mean to you? You know, there are different styles of captaincy. You know, some people are real loud and they're always kind of getting involved in every single thing. Some people lead by example. Um, what does it mean to you to kind of be captain and, and how has that kind of impacted your performance, your career? Um, and what, what do you try and bring to the role specifically? Yeah, I've, I've thought about this. Uh, during my season this year. Obviously, it's a, a new role for me. Uh, personally, I'm not really changing much about myself uh, or how I go about playing my game. Uh, I, Jeff, trust me with the role and you trust me with the position as the player I am. So I'm not I'm not trying to pretend or, or be someone I'm not. Uh, I'm more of a lead by example leader, I think. Uh, I am all obviously vocal on the field. You can probably hear me um, getting picked <laughs> up on the mics. But with players uh, as experienced as Annalie Longo, as Lisa Vanna, uh, as Amy Jackson, I, I have more than enough support and more than enough voices on the field to help direct and inspire the girls. Sammy, over to you. Final question for Angie before we say goodbye. Yeah, Angie, uh, we spoke about this on the podcast that I have with a couple of others called The Far Post. When it comes to your pre-match routines, do you have any superstitions, any particular things that you like to do before big games like this? And are, are there any particularly unusual ones that you have from your teammates? Uh, as, as we've kind of spoke about before, Sam, I try not to let superstition or routine get in my head. Uh, if I have to eat a particular meal and the hotel doesn't serve it, then it, I can't let that uh, affect my game too much. Um, but, yeah, the two things that I've kind of been doing is I have cold showers before games now just to uh, kind of reset my mind and just wake myself up a bit. And uh, I did – I bought these new earrings before the Sydney game that I wore and obviously we didn't get the results that we wanted. Uh, and I left them at home when we travelled up to Brisbane and, and we won it well. So I think I might stay. Uh, but as a team, I, I, I'm trying to think, but I don't think many people have that many weird uh, weird or wonderful things that they do. Uh, I do know that uh, Amy Jackson always has to have her hair plaited by Polly Doran. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, plaits by Polly, where it's literally just Polly plaiting AJ's hair. So I think maybe that's the only thing. If anyone else tries to touch Amy Jackson's hair, then she kind of um, gets caught by it. 
<laughs> I love all this stuff. And you know what? You better flush those earrings down the toilet. Don't bother wearing them again because they're not going to bring you any luck. Angela Beard, Melbourne Victory Captain, thank you so much for making the time for us here today. We wish you all the very best in what we're hoping will be another classic encounter against Sydney FC in the grand final. This is what everyone has been working towards and we're delighted that you and Sydney FC are able to share in this moment two of the best teams in the comp that we've seen. So congratulations and we're looking forward to see the game play out. All the best, mate. Thanks, everyone. It's been great talking to you guys. Oh, good stuff, Angie. Um, I want to bring this question up because it was a massive talking point and we talk about columns and pieces uh, that we've put out in the week and last week I put out a column that spoke very specifically about the W League coverage, Sam. I called you to be an ear to kind of bounce things off with. Um, but Nadia D. Tenace, one of our regular viewers here on the World Game Live via Facebook, good afternoon to you, Nadia. Great to have your company. She said, will there be better coverage regarding the W League? Well, we're bloody well hoping so, Sam. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm really hoping so. And to be honest, after the season that we've had and after the number of quote-unquote one-off disasters that we've had, I can't see how the clubs and how the league can go back to Fox Sports. If this is the way that they, they're going to continue to treat the league, it's not good enough. Uh, we know that the broadcasting contract is reaching its end at the end of the current A-League season and that the clubs are already in discussions with alternative broadcasters to see what can be arranged. And we've seen, you know, even just the contrast between that premiership game between Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory and then the two semifinals. The premiership game was filmed on two cameras. It, it was buffery and juddery. There were no replays. There was no halftime chat. There was nothing. But then in the semifinals this past weekend, we saw a half-hour pregame show. We saw interviews. We saw replays. We saw like all the bells and whistles that the A-League gets for every single game. And that's sort of what's most frustrating, I think, about being in the W-League and working in the W-League and being a W-League fan is that we get all, all the special occasions for us uh, given the, the kind of treatment that the A-League gets all the time. And ideally, we'd like to see both competitions be treated equally when it comes to broadcast coverage because we know that women's football is the biggest growth area of the sport. We know that we're hosting a Women's World Cup in two and a half years' time and that women's football is going to absolutely take off after that. So we need to make sure that we're making decisions now laying down some really solid foundations to capitalise on this growing momentum so that when we do have this massive influx of fans, of players, of investment, of sponsors, that we have everything ready to go to really be able to capitalise. Really well said. Um, and some of the points that I made in the article, Stolich, had more to do also with the fact that we can't position ourselves as a nation that is championing gender equality and using that as one of the strengths in our bid for the 2023 World Cup if this is how we're going to be treating the women's game in the country. Okay, they're two different products, i.e. national team versus, you know, your domestic competition. But to me, there is no difference in this because if our view is to get traction in that particular area of gender equality, it applies to all facets of the game. It applies to grassroots, it applies to state league, it applies to the W League, and it also applies to the national team. So from my perspective as well, my frustration now has extended beyond Fox Sports, and I think now we have to start looking towards the custodians of the game, right? So the APL, they inherited this deal, let's be quite frank and honest about this, because Football Australia CEO James Johnson was spearheading the negotiations with Fox Sports. They were recognised as the entity which effectively had rescued the game 
from the depths of, of the Grim Reaper because at that point it looked as though Fox Sports were going to walk away. But they are now in a situation where they've had to ride out this year and see what happens. Um, you know, from all of the sources that we're speaking to, our understanding is that there are several players now that are interested in taking on the A-League. But when it comes to the W-League, we also need to know, Stolich, that it's going to be given the due respect that it deserves, particularly as we build towards 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we saw it uh, recently with Adelaide United, you know, when they did kind of treat their two clubs as equals, they got 6,000, nearly 7,000 people at the stadium. So the results, they, they come. If you put in the effort, the results come. But I will say to all the people out there, especially people who are in Sydney, uh, if you want to avoid any issues with the broadcasting, the best way to avoid it is to go to the game. And I'm going to show you tickets are cheap as chips. $5 tickets, I believe, uh, I've got here. Um, so the game's on uh, Sunday, 4 p.m. Uh, the weather is fantastic, 19 degrees and sunny. That is perfect football weather. That's warm enough that you're not going to be, like, sitting there freezing, but it's not hot enough you're going to be there sweating. So go online. <laughs> here's here's the page. Get the tickets. Uh, $5 general admission tickets, $15 for an adult, uh, $10 for concession, family of four, $30. That, you got to go. we got to go. I think Sydney needs to put on a show. Uh, we need a show that we can get a bigger crowd even than Adelaide got. I want to see more than 6,000 people there. People from Melbourne, fly up. The hotels are empty. The hostels are empty. We don't have any foreign tourists anymore. So there's plenty of places to stay. There's couches to crash on. Get to this game. I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to be there. I think, And then you don't have to worry about the broadcast. Uh, you, know, you can just read about that on Twitter later on. <laughs> it's a good point. Martin Cubby via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Martin. Marty, great to have your company, mate. He says, so agree. The broadcast has to improve, and that will in turn bring more people, men and women, to the W League. It's a great comp, but so hard to see. P.S. I'll be at the game on Sunday with my two young boys. Go, Sydney. Good on you, Marty. That's fantastic stuff. We put out a question about the score prediction before we move on to talk about the Matildas with you, Sammy. How do you feel? I know you've got your Sky Blues jersey on, and that's where your allegiances lie, but how do you feel this game is going to go viewers everybody tuning into the world game live here today what are your predictions and you don't even have to be specific as a scoreline but just who do you feel in your heart of hearts in your bones is going to win in my heart of hearts i in my heart of hearts i feel like sydney fc are going to win because this has been an extraordinary season for them they've done everything right and I, I I want I want this so desperately for Teresa Polias because she really embodies this club and the W League in so many ways. The fact that she has had to work full time on top of being Sydney's captain, on top of playing every possible minute except for a game that she had to miss in Perth because of work commitments. Work, yeah. She 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 is just everything to this team. So she helped win their first premiership in 10 years. She was the only remaining player who'd won it with them last time. And so if she is to able to then win the championship on top of that, to win the double after everything that's happened, after everything that players like her have been through, it would just be the most beautiful way to cap off what is has been one of the most extraordinary careers in the W League. Not saying that she's retiring. I don't know what she's doing after the W League, but if she does think about it, it would be the perfect possible send-off. So I want that for her. Michael Long, 1-1 penalty shootout. Gabby Garten to be the difference, and hasn't she been sensational? Georgie Lazo, we love you, Jorge. Thanks for your engagement here on the World Game Live. He says 3-1 Sydney FC. Of course, he'd say that he's also another Sydney FC fan. <laughs> so, like, 
Bring some impartiality to the table. I mean, look, to be fair, I actually agree in my heart of hearts, if I'm going to go with that, I do think that Sydney FC will be the stronger side. They've been the largely dominant one all season. But, ooh, the victory, they give me some chills, though, They after the, especially after that performance against Brisbane. If they can correct a few things off the back of that game that they had in the Premiership deciding match, um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But what's your gut telling you on this? I mean, I think it's going to be close. You know, I think uh, Sydney FC are favourites, for sure. They were the best team throughout the regular season, you know, 3-0 against Canberra United. But, you know, as you were saying, Sam, it wasn't the most convincing of 3-0 wins. You know, sometimes 3-0 wins can be a bit of a a red herring, if you will. And I think, you know, victory, they they looked very good in that crazy semi-final against Brisbane. If they have learned their lessons from a week ago, I think it could be very difficult if they are a bit more defensive, you know, if they can shut it out, if Lisa Devanna can start hitting it on the break. I think we could be up for an absolute thriller, which is why I would suggest everyone to get out there. As for a prediction, I'm going to go 2-2. is going to go to extra time, and then I think CNFC will win an extra time. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring. I reckon it's going to be pretty tense. A-League memes are saying 4-0 to Sydney. I can't see it being that dramatic a scoreline. But um, A-League memes, they also want to know if they can crash on your couch, Stolich. A few have actually asked the same question. Nadia, too. Can we all crash at your place, Nick? (laughs) Guys. If it was up to me, absolutely. Everyone is welcome on my couch. I, I, If I have space for one, I have space for a thousand. But I've got to remind you. Is it up to your missus? Is it up to Freya? Is well, it? listen, is I live in a very equal partnership here, and she has 50% stake uh, in this house. Uh, by stake, I mean she pays 50% of the rent. We don't own this house whatsoever. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I'd have to clear it with her. I don't know if she'll be okay. But as for the A-League memes, guys, I know that there are A-League meme admins who live in Sydney and, you know, probably have bigger couches and better places. So maybe you should check there first. But if anyone needs to stay in my place, you're always welcome. I just will never tell you my address in public. Thank you. <laughs> Johan, victory to win 3-1. Uh, and now Alec Memes are asking uh, Freya, actually, if they can crash on your couch. Uh, See, this you. is good. I'll make her look like the bad one when she's like, no, of course they done. Random people from the internet cannot just crash on our couch. Nathan <laughs> <laughs> Evans is a Raw fan. I hope Sydney flog Melbourne as a native New South Welshman. Well, it'll be interesting to see either way. As Nick said, everybody get down to yeah. Jubilee Stadium this Sunday. It's going to be fantastic uh, to see the finally, as we've said, this is what the girls have been building up towards. It's the pinnacle of the season. We only wish we had more of the season to pour over, um, but it's going to be great. So, you know, and, and when you particularly when you consider the the combinations that you've got, you've got the Sydney FC side who have been so successful with a largely youthful squad and experienced squad in Melbourne Victory. Both have similar playing styles. They love to play aggressive football. Um, I think it's going to be a tense one. It's going to be a classic encounter that we're all really looking forward to. Um, I'll tell you what else we're really looking forward to. The Matildas finally we've got some international football on the horizon. It may not be for the Socceroos, but our very own, our beloved darlings of Australian football and, in fact, Australian sport are in action. They're playing against Germany on Saturday night and then the Netherlands in the wee hours of Wednesday morning. Who would you like to see start is the question that we're posing to everybody, Sammy. We'll let you answer first before I then start to drill into the squad and and, and some of the new faces that we've seen capped as well because we know that, of course, only European-based players, no thanks to COVID, have been able to be selected for these particular matches. But who do you want to see start? 
who would I want to see start? I mean, because they're friendlies, I, I, I would encourage, I mean, Tony's not going to be watching this at all, but I would encourage Tony to experiment because there is an opportunity here for him to really see how some of these new players can fit in. So we've been talking, for example, about how good Dylan Holmes has been for Adelaide United before she signed for a Swedish club. She's been called into camp for the first time and is part of a midfield that is looking for someone perhaps to step into a number six, number eight role. So I'd be really keen to see a Dylan Holmes get a go. Obviously, Sam Kerr is going to be starting. She is in red-hot form for Chelsea. She just became the equal golden boot uh, sort of leader in the FAWSL alongside Vivian Miedema, who she was going to be coming up against in the Netherlands, uh, in the Netherlands friendly in a couple of days after the Germany one. I'd really like to see Hayley Rasso get a start as well. She's been in red-hot form for Everton. Um, and maybe even maybe even Emily Gilnick, actually. You know, she's gone over there deliberately because she wants to be in Matilda's conversations. She won the Golden Boot here in the W League. She was in fantastic form before she left. So it would mm-hmm. be a really nice reward to be able to see her there. But one of the big questions I have in terms of uh, the Matilda's starting eleven is who's going to take over at left back? Because Steph Catley, the vice captain, has been injured for Arsenal. Yeah. She hasn't been playing at all and she's been left off the list. So we've got a uh, we've got Carly Rosbacken who has come in. She made a brief appearance at the 2019 Women's World Cup. She's been playing mm-hmm. really really well over in Europe the last couple of sort of months. Um, but again, she has sort of been hampered by injury as well. So I'd be really curious to see how Tony goes about trying to fill that particular spot, and also what's going to happen with Ellie Carpenter because she has just come from a Lyon a Lyon squad that has been ravaged oh, by COVID. Ravaged. Yeah. They have 15 players who have been confirmed positive with COVID-19, which has delayed their playing of the second leg of the Champions League against PSG. So I don't know what the deal with Ellie Carpenter is. Maybe she's just escaped it like Indiana Jones sliding underneath the doorway. Uh, It's just got out in the nick of time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there are so many exciting players that have been brought in. We've got India Page-Riley, who's a dual international. You'd have to think that there's some conversations about trying to get her country tied to Australia. Uh, we've got Ella Mastro-Antonio, who's come back in after 10 million years out in the wilderness. She's been playing really well for Bristol. Yeah. So there are so many cool, really cool players, really good opportunities for them to be able to make their mark. And if they're able to really settle into the culture of the team as well, the culture in camp, this could really set them up for a future senior Matilda's career. Tell us about these players that haven't been capped, though, and what we know about them. So, for example, Beatrice Goad, you've got in there Alexandra Hu, who plays for Napoli. Uh, you touched on her there, India Page Riley. What can we expect from them, and do you anticipate that they will be given an opportunity to play, or is this just more to kind of blood them up in the national team camp environment and to see how they perform? Yeah, I think it's more of the latter, uh, particularly the younger players. So a player like Beatty Goad, who I think was sort of kicking around in youth national teams for a little bit, uh, but she dropped off a lot of Australians' radars when she went to college. Uh, she joined Stanford, which was a really impressive college program in the United States, and she did really well there. She studied medical science, I think. She's incredibly bright, and she had she sort of arrived, I think, at a fork in the road where she needed to decide what she wanted to do with her life, and she decided to go and play football in Germany. So she joined a club called MV Meppen. They were promoted to the Bundesliga, the Frauen Bundesliga, so now she's playing at the top level in Germany. 
Uh, and she's a fantastic player. People might remember her from a couple of seasons ago in the W League. She played for Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City. She's a really clever winger. She's got really tight footwork. She's really athletic. But she's really exciting. Uh, Amy Sayer as well, another college player who's been plucked from over there. She played for Sydney FC last year. Uh, she's been kicking around in the MPL for a little bit. She's played for Canberra. Uh, and so she's sort of been... Uh, getting some really good minutes over there um, in the United States as well. And also another incredibly bright player who we would probably want to have as part of football in regardless of if it's in a a playing way or otherwise. Um, And Alex Hun, you know, we've had, I think, a lot of conversations about the depth that we do or do not have for the Matildas at centre-back. Uh, particularly, you know, in the Women's World Cup, we saw what happened when Claire Polkinghorne went down and it, it was just like a domino effect across the rest of the team. Yep. So bringing in someone like Alex Horn, who I thought was quite impressive for Western Sydney when she was here last season, now playing really regularly for Napoli over in Italy, it's really good to bring those players in and to actually see what they can do because sometimes players in these more elite, more intense environments surrounded by genuinely world-class players can meet the standard. Sometimes they surprise themselves by what they're actually capable of doing. So I would think that we probably won't see a huge combination of all of these uncapped players making appearances against Germany and the Netherlands, but I would really like to see a couple get a real hot go, including Mary Fowler, who has been playing in France with Montpellier. She's absolutely sensational. She's Kyra Cooney-Cross levels of future Matilda's star and she wasn't really given much of a glimpse uh, at the 2019 Women's World Cup. So I'd hope that Tony Gustafsson sees in Mary Fowler what all of us do and really gives her a chance. And this is going to be interesting too, Stolich, when we consider now we have a new coach coming in, right? So we knew what to expect under Alan Stajic. Of course, we knew what to expect under uh, former coach Ante Milicic. But now this is a new coach. We've seen him, of course, as the assistant coach of the USA, hugely successful in that department. Of course, he's been coaching abroad. But now as the head coach of the national team, um, it's going to be interesting to see what type of philosophy he brings. Laura Brock was in the media this week talking about the fact that, you know, it's been exciting to see what type of philosophy he is bringing in, especially the work that they're doing off the ball, the movement as well. So what are you anticipating from that too? Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is I think we should be have an open mind when it comes to these games because I do think there'll be experimentation, not only when it comes to, you know, the lineup and who's starting, but also the formation and how they're playing. And he's he's got a lot of different pieces to work with going into, you know, the Olympics and the, the World Cup, and he needs to get every single one to work out exactly how he can best use them. So I would say, you know, maybe... we we shouldn't overreact if we, you know, we don't win both these games or anything like that. I think it's going to be very interesting to, to see uh, how he's going to play um, and how he uses, you know, the likes of Emily Van Egmont. We've, we've seen her used in deeper roles. We've seen her used, you know, higher up in the number 10 position. Um, so that's going to be uh, very interesting, but from everything we hear, uh, it seems great. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, good vibes coming from the camp. Although one thing I will say, you're never going to get a current player who wants to be picked for their national team ever criticising the national coach at the time. So, you know, when, the, when these players come out and say, oh, yeah, it's great, what are they going to say? Oh, it's terrible. Who's this new guy? No. But but I say that just everyone is saying the right things. And and from, from what I understand, you know, this guy is a very good coach. I'm very excited to see them in these two games uh, because you're right. It's, it's not only about, you know, who starts, but how we're going to play. And I do think that we have another level to go to, a level that we didn't see under the previous two coaches. And I really hope Tony Gustavin is going to do that. But I have a question for you, Sam. Mm-hmm. I want to know, 
Sam Kerr is in unbelievable form. Like really like as much as we pump her up on this show, as much as the Australian media gets behind her, she's even in like better form than we even give her credit for at the moment. She is scoring in the Champions League. She is equal top goal scorer in the Women's Super League. I want to know, you know, May she I think she was fifth in the Ballon d'Or uh, last year. Where is she now in world football, would you say, in terms of best player in the world conversation? Because you've got Peniel Harder, who's also at Chelsea. You know, you've got Ada Hedeberg, if you had in the past. You know, you've got uh, Miedermeyer at uh, um, Arsenal. Uh, where do you think right now is she ranking in terms of the best player in the world conversation? I mean, okay, so setting aside the fact that I am an Australian yep. and I rate her and I have seen how she has progressed over the years, if yeah. I am try to put my sort of journalist hat on and to try and be objective, I yeah. genuinely think Sam Kerr is in the top three players on earth at the moment. Oh. She is in just the most extraordinary form. And I think we always knew that this could happen. I think a lot of Australians and perhaps a lot of Americans knew that Sam Kerr was capable of being this way. But it wasn't until she actually moved to England and put herself front and centre in front of traditional football media, in front of the traditional power brokers of these kinds of things, in front of the people who vote for Ballon d'Ors, who vote for the FIFA Best Player of the Year awards. It's not until she stood in front of them and said, look at me, look at what I'm capable of doing, that I think people are actually like, oh, the Aussies were right. The Americans were right. She's actually sensational. And she's just getting better as well. One of the things that has been so fun to watch is how her combination with Fran Kirby has developed over the course of the season at oh, Chelsea. Oh, my Lord. The two of them, like, talking outside of just is she the best player, are they the best strike pairing in Europe right. at the moment or even in the world? They are just yeah. extraordinary. They have this otherworldly understanding of each other's movements and they make each other better. And I think that's what makes Sam Kerr such a great player is that she makes players around her better from yeah. what she does. She's really selfless. One of the things that she's learned over the course of her time with Chelsea is also to become an assistant. She, Her and Kirby just bounce off each other in so many beautiful ways, whether it's her making the run to get onto the end of a, of a Kirby cross or a through ball or it's Sam returning the favour. They they just understand each other really naturally and really beautifully. So I would be really shocked, actually, when it comes to the next round of serious voting for individual awards if Sam Kerr is not genuinely up there in the top three. Mm. This is slightly off track but in the same context. The comment coming through, well, it's a comment, but I'll pose a question off the back of it from uh, Georgie Lazo. This is a medal-winning team, at least bronze. You heard it here first, right? So we're nearing We didn't hear it there first, Lazo. We've been talking about this for months. <laughs> we're, gearing, we're gearing towards the Tokyo Olympics, right, which we touch wood. We're praying to the gods that it goes ahead. Um, everyone is, is planning as though it's still going ahead. We've seen the Australian uh, official... Um, outfits actually unveiled in the past couple of weeks as well. So we're all planning as, the, as though it's happening. But when we talk about the Olympics now and the team and the, the calibre of players that we have available to us, Sam, taking off our patriotic hats and just being logical about this, and particularly that's why I like the question that, that, that um, Stolich posed there about Sam Kerr because we all know her, we all love her. And it's the same thing with the national team. We all believe that we can achieve great things on the world stage, but can we actually do it? Come the Olympics, come 2023, can you actually see us competing for medals and for serious trophies? Look, I think it's really important that we temper our expectations of this team now. Yeah. They haven't played together in a competitive match for over a year. 
whereas all of the opponents, well, almost all of the opponents that they're going to be coming up against in the Olympics have been playing together as a national team, whether it's in friendlies, whether it's in European qualifiers, whether it's in friendly tournaments. All of these teams have had so many more match minutes under their belt than what the Matildas have. And that really affects the team. You know, we see it in, at W League level, we see that teams need a, a good couple of games before they actually start to find that chemistry that we know that can be there. And these players, a lot of them haven't been playing together on the same W League teams. Like that was one of the, the nice sort of benefits of when there was that W League and WSL sort of cycle is that we had small pockets of Matildas playing together quite regularly. So we've got, you know, we've got our FAWSL based Matildas, but we've got Matildas who are based in college. We've got Matildas who were based in the W League. We've got Matildas who are based in other areas of Europe. So having to bring all of that together and to generate that chemistry and to try and I feel like it's almost going to try and be like muscle memory, like getting back on the bike in a lot of ways. Tony needs to try and figure out what the absolute maximum strengths are of all the players he has available to him and really trying to bring all of that out in the short time that he has. Because he only has, outside of this upcoming international window, he only has one more before the Olympics actually starts. So I know Football Australia are going to try and perhaps organise another friendly or, or two in, in those windows in the time that's remaining. Uh, but again, like every, every game that we play is going to be so, so important in the lead up to Tokyo because we're sort of on the back foot when it comes to the teams that we're going to be coming up against in future. Um, and also sort of, I think we need to talk about New Zealand in the same way as well. Like New, the New Zealand women's national team don't actually have anything planned as far as I know. And they're going to be competing in Tokyo as well. So there are a number of teams in Tokyo that we will probably be coming up against who have had sort of situations worse than us, but also there are teams that have, you know, been able to actually put things together quite quickly and been able to play some games over the course of the last sort of 12 months that, yeah, so we, we really need to sort of keep that context in mind, I think particularly with these two friendlies if we end up getting thrashed. Yeah, and that speaks to what you were saying earlier, Stolich. I don't think we need to get carried away with whatever the result is because, as Sam pointed out rightfully, this is a team that haven't played together for over a year. And it's an opportunity for everybody to get together, particularly under the guise of a new coach now, and find their feet and find what it is that's going to be in their DNA going forward, looking ahead towards the Olympics and then obviously thinking about 2023, which has still got a bit of time for. Unfortunately, though, Sam, that is all we've got time for with you today. My goodness, we could have you on for the whole show and there's been so much to talk about in the women's football space which is always so delightful you've got your sydney fc shirt on we know who you'll be barracking for but either way we are looking forward to a sensational w league contest as nick stolich said there guys get out to the game go off to jubilee it's going to be a fantastic experience the tickets are cheap you can still get them now they're available it's an opportunity to get the family together it's still school holidays so take your kids down as one of our viewers said he's taking his two young boys with him it's a great occasion to celebrate women's football but just football in general, guys. If you love the game, you love it in every facet that it produces. So, Sammy, we love you for every facet that you produce, whether you're on The Guardian, whether you're doing podcasts, whether you're writing for ESPN, for Optus, for us at The World Game. Um, we just adore you and we wish you all the very best going forward and we'll catch up with you after the W League Grand Final to unpack everything that we've seen because then you're going on a bit of leave, aren't you? 
I am. I'm giving myself permission to take a break. Uh, as a freelancer, I don't actually get paid leave or anything like that. So I do need to just allow myself to have a little bit of a break and a wind down. So after the W League season, after the Matildas friendlies, yes, I'm going to be basically going into a, a, a sort of black hole of, of the internet. I'm not going to have access to the internet at all. And I'm just going to relax and sleep and read. And that's going to be my entire holiday. Girlfriend, you absolutely deserve it. One of the hardest working women in football that we know. You're such a delight, such a treasure to have on the program, and we're looking forward to catching up with you again next week. Thank you so much, and enjoy the festivities on Sunday. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you to SBS as well for regular WLE coverage. It's really, really so important. And to everyone watching, please, please come. It's going to be such a great game. Please watch it on KO. If it's not on KO, it's going to be on ABC. Go to your local pub, dub at the pub. It's going to be fantastic. You won't regret it. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Good on you, Sammy. Love having your company. And what a great opportunity and a great excuse then to get together with your mates on the Sunday. As you rightfully pointed out, the weather's going to be good. Go to the pub and watch it. If you can't get to the game and you're in another state, mm. round everybody up, get a schnitty and a couple of beers into you. Maybe if you're in Melbourne, you can bring <laughs> How, how you Aussie are you trying your, to sound, Lucy? You, you can bring, bring your mullet as well. I mean, you can really make quite the day of it. Um, and that's the whole point, right? That's what I love about football and just sport in particular. But football, I love its ability to bring everybody together right across the country, right across the world um, in moments like this because, uh, you know, it's a moment worth celebrating. And, and I wish, as I said earlier, there was more of the W League season to pour over. But, you know, we're going to see two of the best go at it on Sunday and I think it's going to be a really good contest. Well, I actually think that sport and especially football is one of the few things left in society where people across the age spectrum can participate in at the same time. So if you think about it, you know, there's not many like TV shows that 20-year-olds are watching, that 65-year-olds are watching. There's no music that they're kind of sharing. You know, obviously politics, there's usually a huge divide when it comes to kind of young people and old people, economic situations. There's very few things actually now that you find yourself coming together all ages of society. The W League Grand Final on Sunday, you're going to see kids there as young as five and younger. You're probably going to see babies there. You're going to see people in their 60s, you know, hopefully, you know, bring your grandma, bring your grandpa to the W League. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be uh, plenty of old people there and then everyone in between. I think that's kind of the wonderful thing uh, about football and sport especially and, you know, especially with something like the Matildas as well. You know, it's not often that, you know, our country or all countries around the world even come together. There's usually a huge divide between people who live in cities and people who live in different states and like I was saying before ages and, and, and socioeconomic situations but when our national teams are playing we actually do come together as one nation and I really really like that and I think it, and we come together for a really good cause as well so I'm really looking forward to W League Grand Final that you know stay up late watch the Matildas on the Saturday night then sleep in a little bit you know then get up late breakfast head to the game watch it at the pub watch it at home wherever and then you just have a great day. It's going to be a fantastic encounter. Well said, my friend. Um, this show has blown well over time, as it does. It doesn't it? it? <laughs> and that's probably what I enjoy about it. But there has been so much to discuss, notwithstanding, you know, the great encounters that we've got coming up in the W League and the Matilda space. But let's give a little bit of love to the A League. I, I can't let the show slip by and duck straight into bad news, good news, without covering off a bit of the A League. So the Wanderers and the Mariners, they played out that four-goal thriller. Tilio wins it late for City against the Phoenix. I thought the Phoenix were actually going to jag that one. It looked quite interesting up until Tilio scored that winner. Um, and Lockie Wales' early goal sees West United beat the Jets and Sydney add to Victory's Blues. The question that we're asking, though, around this, 
is around the Mariners game against the Wanderers at Bankwest. Why are the Wanderers so inconsistent and are the Mariners showing glimmers of falling away now that we've started to see teams like Adelaide United, like Melbourne City, and I alluded to earlier, like MacArthur, sneaking up the table there and putting in some solid performances, Stolich. But um, what's your view on this and your perspective? Let's start with the Wanderers first and foremost, though. Why are they so inconsistent? You know, I actually, and it's been an interesting debate at the moment, there's talk of Ugarkovic coming across from uh, Newcastle to the Wanderers. It sounds like the Wanderers are keen to speed up that process. They don't want to wait to the end of the season or next season where they'll get him on a free. Uh, they're looking to trade players. I think Carl Robinson doesn't trust his midfield, basically. I think he's, you know, swapped around with combinations. Backers has been inconsistent, in my uh, opinion. He's been very good in moments and he's had issues in, in other games. Um, you know, you've got Dorans in there as well, similar thing. Uh, I think he wants to bring in kind of that player who's, who's really showing that he can, you know, really dominate midfield, really bring the calmness to the game that I think uh, they need. Um, but, you know, the whole league has been inconsistent, let's be honest. Uh, you know, Melbourne City had that. Terrible start. They're coming through, flying, looking really good. Uh, Mariners, great start. Now, as we're saying, starting to fall away a little bit. Um, you know, and there's talk has that... Balance, Alex- has balance been restored, perhaps? Well, is, yeah. Is what we're seeing now the, the true form of what we should have expected from the A-League this season? Not in the way of, say, for example, Sydney FC and Melbourne victory, mm. but, you know, now we're starting to see equilibrium achieved. Yeah, I mean, I think as well teams are no longer underestimating the Mariners. They're coming in with an understanding of how they're going to play. They're not they, – they understand, you know, their compactness. They're, they're maybe getting a bit better at shutting down the likes of the Silver and, and Nisbet and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, the thing with the Mariners is even when they were doing well, we were still sceptical of whether they could, you know, continue this, and this is probably why. Now we're seeing – I think they're still doing well. You know, they haven't completely fallen off. Let's say they, they could have – lost five games in a row. They've only won one in their last five, but they've shown some really good performances. They've shown resilience, whether it was against Adelaide when they were 1-0 down and they scored those two late goals. You know, last night, yeah, it was a penalty that got them back into it to make it 2-2, but they had other chances. They they created good opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, and it is interesting. And then, you know, you have now the distraction around, you know, uh, Alu Kuo, is he going off to Stuttgart? Seems like it's so pretty the much ma- So the mail that I've received is that it's a done deal. Yeah. Right? So he's off to Stuttgart. Um no. I mean, I, and I trust the source that it's coming from as well, who mm. has apparent insider knowledge with the respective agents involved, but um, it seems as though they will be losing Alu Kual. Good move for him, Stolich. That's a massive move. Yeah, I think it is a good move for him. I know some people are saying, well, you know, is he ready and is it going to work out? Well, we will find out, but you never know until you go. And, and you know, as like... Do you think he's ready? Do you actually think he's ready? Uh, viewers tuning into the World Game Live here this afternoon, do you think that Alu Kual is ready for a move to Stuttgart? I would say that the only person who can know is is kind of him internally. You know, is he ready to take that step up? Because it is a big step up, you know, as... You know, Craig Goodwin was saying at the start of the show, get over there as soon as you can so you realize what a step up it is, not only in playing, but training, in being professional, in everyday environment, in being, you know, a Stuttgart player and people knowing you in the streets and you having to to be careful about the way you're acting away from the game. So I think it will be... And if it's rained out, don't worry, training's not going to be cancelled at Blue Park. (laughs) You'll have another facility to go to. You'll have a gym. You'll have everything that you need to support you and resource you to be a professional footballer. 
I think he is right to go. I think if the opportunity is there, go. And listen, just because it doesn't work out the first time, it doesn't mean he can't go again. He's a very young player. Um, but, you know, the the iron strike while the iron is hot. Uh, it's looking good right now. I mean, and we say that he's not even starting for the Mariners. Urenia and Simon are the starting up front. He's coming off the bench, and he looks very exciting when he comes off the bench. How good, how good's Urenia been, by the way? I mean, that combination between yeah. he and Simon, which led to the goal, obviously, has been fantastic. Matt Simon, let's talk about the Wizard of Woiwoi still scoring goals. I think, referring back to what uh, Craig Goodwin said, um, you know, beyond their football, which, as he described, and I'd agree with, haven't hasn't been the, the prettiest to watch. Mm. Um, the thing that Alan Stajic, to his credit and, and fantastically, has been able to achieve with this side is that he's given them belief. Yeah. And that's where your man management comes into play here, and we have to give him credit for that 100% because he's made these players believe that they can win. And I think in years gone by, that's where things have lacked, is that they've really felt the weight of this club and it being, you know, the whipping boys of the competition, that they've all had to carry that burden, whereas now it's, well, you know what, Everyone's in a similar situation, no thanks to COVID, and we can all win this. We all have an mm. opportunity to do this. So he has them believing that they're capable of success. But I think that's going to start to fall away now when you see the likes of Melbourne City, who, let's be fair and respectful, have higher quality players within their lineups. Adelaide United do have Craig Goodwins who are scoring week in, week out. Jamie McLaren performing sensationally for Melbourne City, again, week in, week out. Um, this is where the balance will start to be restored because you've just got a higher quality and calibre of players, Stolich. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, will we see any players come in? I mean, there's talk of Agarkovic going to, um, you know, Wanderers and how will that change Newcastle? How will that change the Wanderers? There's talk of Amini going uh, to Perth. You know, that could be an interesting uh, dynamic as well, how that changes them. I think Dega Castro has now got a knee injury. So oh, he's out for at least four weeks, which is devastating. Yeah. And they've got an important clash coming up against Sydney tonight Sydney. as well, by yeah. the way. Yeah, so it's it's there's there's going to be plenty of twists and turns. You know, MacArthur is starting to show signs that they're really good, and you know the quality of Susayeta and Benyard and Derbyshire, the foreigners. Sometimes, you know, in the A League, when you get your foreigners right, you know the rest can come along for the ride. And I think uh, MacArthur have really done that after what was a, a questionable start. Um, but you know, another one that I think uh, needs to be discussed, and it was going to be in my uh, bad news, good news, but Melbourne uh, victory. Uh, awful, absolutely awful. And, you know, I said on, on Twitter the other day, and I know you're not on Twitter, but to me, there comes a time, and previous seasons has been with the Mariners, right, where it's so bad and you know the coach is going. You know he's not surviving another season. You know, we know Bredner's not going to be there long term at all. Uh, where How long he stays, you know, this season remains to be seen. He might get to the end of the season, but he's not going to be there next season. You know a lot of the players, they're not going to be sticking around. You know they're either going to get, the, you know, their contracts won't be renewed or they'll move on to somewhere else. And there's just a feeling that everyone's kind of given up and we don't have relegation to, to scare them, to for players to, to really put in that extra effort to survive and, and the fans to really kind of, you know, put the pressure on. It's just that awkward feeling where it actually becomes awkward to watch them. And in previous years, like I said, it was the Mariners and you'd sit, you'd sit there, be round 17 and the Mariners would be playing and it'd be another loss and you'd just be, you know, you don't want to make eye contact with it because it's, it's so awkward. And now it is a victory. And then the scenes with Robbie Cruz coming off and the armband and, you know, it, it's just horrible to see for such a big club. And I thought it was uh, fantastic how the fans got out, especially the active support. It was a full terrace. You know, they sounded really good. It looked really good. But the performance, you know, Elvis Kemp Sova's red card, just 
everything about it was just awful on the pitch, and I really, really do feel sorry for those fans. PSO, speaking of the fans, pull your heads in those ones that threw plastic bottles at Costa Barbarusas in that game um, the other day. It's just not on, right? So you can hate the player all you like for leaving the football club. You also have to respect the fact that he also left a club at a time where it was being gutted of, of key players of the likes of Kevin Musket. You can't begrudge him for wanting to move on to another club to better his financial circumstances and whatever else if he's going to be given better opportunities there. Hate him all you like, but don't don't start throwing bottles at him on the field. When we start yeah. to talk about players' safety being in jeopardy here, um, that's when it's not good enough. Um I, I, I don't know. I, I, when it comes to the victory, are we 100% sure that Graham Brevin is not going to be there? Um, you know, we've had assurances from Di Pietro that, um, you know, they're going to back him and they're there to back him for the long term. I think that where we need to start directing our attention is, especially if you're a Melbourne Victory fan, is not at Grant Brebner. I think you need to start looking higher up the chain. And I think yeah. a lot have, right? Start looking at the board. Start looking at your heads of recruitment, right? So Drew Sherman and the likes of those guys that are involved with recruitment, of course, Grant Brebner gets to sign off on all final matters when it concerns players, etc. But this is a collaborative process, right? Grant cannot be the only one that is held a accountable and, and entirely responsible for the way that this football club are performing at the moment. They haven't had a long-term vision. Once they lost Muskie, there didn't seem to be a succession plan there, right? So you always have to prepare for that. It's, you know, it's sports management 101. What are your contingency plans? What if you lose a coach that's been given and, and has given your football club great success over this period of time? What's your backup plan? What's your B, C, D and E? Um, They've, they've been hanging by a thread for, for some time now, I feel, um, and it's going to be interesting to see what move they make next because we know that they're going to need to have a massive clean-out, um, you know, whether that comes down to coaching staff and players or one or the other. Um, something definitely needs to change at the victory. It can't keep going on for as long as it has. Uh, but it's an interesting one. Um, Ash Parajuli, I hope I'm saying that correctly via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Ash. Brebner may go back to an assistant coaching role if Victory get a new manager, question mark. It'll be interesting to see in what kind of capacity he'd want to stay on. And, you know, the mail that a lot of people are kind of peddling at the moment is that they have already started this worldwide search for a new coach. Um, you know, Tony Popovich's name being linked there, Harry Kuehl's name being linked as well. Um, there are a lot of people whose names are being thrown in the ring there. But, you know, it remains to be seen. And at this point, it seems as though they're going to stand by that decision to um, to continue to stand by Brebner, which is an interesting one, Stolich. A few more points on this before we move on. Well, just, you know, and I, I think Ash has made a good point here. I think that probably is a good move uh, for Brebner if he wants to continue uh, as a head coach because he's not going to go get another. Would he want to stay, though? He's not going to get another gig as a head coach in the A-League after this spell. Uh, there has been no evidence that he has done, you know, anything to turn this club around. Now, yes, the recruitment is a good issue. He didn't want it. That's the weird thing, right? So well, he said that he didn't want it, but then when we had the victory board member, former victory board member, come on, he said, well, he did want it. So we don't know who's to believe here. It's, it's a strange one. Does he want a long-term career in head coaching? Because not everyone can be a head coach, mm. right? That's the next topic of conversation. Some are more suited to the assistant coaching roles. And yeah. we've seen when you talk about assistant coaches, um, we've seen Jean-Paul de Manigny also return to Melbourne Victory, a, a celebrated grade at that club, did wonderful things in his time there, um, who's working sort of as part of the backroom staff. So I don't know. If I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist, could they have moved him over with the view that if things go wrong with Brebner, maybe this could be their contingency plan and they could move JP into that position? It's a conspiracy theory, but nonetheless a theory. 
Well, yeah, but then it also it immediately undermines uh, Brebner straight away. So in my opinion, if you're going to do that. It's not like they're going to tell him that. It's not like they're going to turn around and say, oh, by the way, we're bringing in JP in case things go to shit with you, then we're going to do all me. <laughs> but the, player, the players will know that. If, if that's the case, the players will get a sense of that very quickly. So I would just think that if they are going to make that decision, they need to make that decision quickly. Um you know, you don't – but, again, it, it comes down to probably the finances. The finances at Victory probably aren't great, so they don't want to pay any payouts uh, if they do get rid of Brebner. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's just awful to uh, watch Victory at the moment. Uh, and I, I really, you know, I hark back for the days of, of Fred and Archie Thompson and Danny Allsop and, you know, even Kevin Musket on the field. They, those were the days when I used to absolutely love watching uh, Melbourne Victory. But right now, just I can't believe like what that team has become. Given you know we years ago, a few years ago, talking about the biggest team in the A League and, and the thing that we all wanted, kind of every team to aspire to, and now is nowhere near that. I mean, well done obviously to their W League team for making the grand final, um, and they're definitely improving in that area. But their A League team, ugh. Murray McKeon, let's switch gears. Will Craig Deans see out the season after six losses? Um, Another very celebrated and revered figure at a football club. Of course, we've seen him do great things in the W League space. Now he's, of course, been involved in the A League space, has taken on various caretaker roles in his time when we've seen a host of Newcastle Jets coaches moved on. This is now his opportunity as the head coach in this particular position. Um, you know, again, this is someone that's also been dogged by rumours in the past about other coaches potentially being interviewed for the position, etc., and then sort of waiting in the wings. But we don't know. And with the way that the Jets have performed this season, I think it's been a really difficult one for them. They couldn't have planned for or anticipated that shocking move um, exacted by Carl Robinson when he defected to the Wanderers. So is it fair to, again, heap the blame on Deansy or do they ride this season out, ride it off, and then recalibrate and prepare for the next one? If you are a Newcastle Jets fan, as Murray McKean is here, let us know. Do you want to see Deansy stay in the position? Are you prepared to write this season off, given all the upheaval you've had, the movement of players, Zibini gone, now Wilgardkovic also potentially on the move once the transfer window opens? Where do you sit on this? Stolich, your view on the Jets? Yeah, you know, I, I keep saying uh, a few weeks ago, I think you asked me a similar question, you know, Craig Deans, you know, what's going on? And it's becoming harder and harder to defend them. I still think there's something there. I, I still think they've had probably one of the, if not the hardest kind of uh, lead-ins to this season of all the teams in the A-League. Um, and, you know, when I watched them uh, against Western United, you know, they concede after a minute and it was defending was too lax in the first minute. But then I thought they played pretty well and they created chances and it just wasn't falling their way. I think um, O'Donovan's not having the best season. That's uh, affecting them. You know, if they had money, you'd definitely just say if you just sign one or two kind of experienced players down that spine, you could really kind of rejuvenate this team. Um, Remy Nadjarin coming back I think is important for them. I think he's a really good player. But, yeah, it's tough at the moment to uh, be on Team Deans. Um, but, yeah, it'd be very interesting to hear from Newcastle fans how you're feeling about him because, he, you know, he's been at the club a long time behind the scenes, done a lot of different roles. Um but yeah, for now, I would I think the club will stay with him because you know they're in a bad financial situation as well. We're not seeing kind of any big moves from them. 
Well, the unfortunate thing for them is that they're in a situation where you've got a consortium of APL owners who have decided to take the club over after Martin Lee was stripped of his licence. Now, again, we don't know what the long-term strategy is for this football club, and that's what I've said a couple of shows ago in which I sort of feared for their future because we don't know where they're headed um, and what their long-term goals and plans are to bring this club back to great success, which it highly deserves. Um, I don't know that, again, it's it's entirely fair to heap all of the blame on Deansy in this situation. I mean, I'm asking the question, but I, it's not necessarily one that I believe in. Um, you know, comments coming through saying that he's not a first-team coach, that they should potentially move on from him. That's fine if that's what you think. But, again, this is a club that, like Melbourne Victory, need an overhaul from top to bottom with the right people put in key positions to exact proper and effective change. Um, Nathan Evans, one more question. My God, this show's going to run to the two-hour mark. Could we see Ange Postacoglu? Let's break a record today, Stolich. Let's ride this horse off into the sunset. Could we see Ange Postacoglu return to the A-League or will he stay with his club in Japan? I think that's pretty damn clear. He's not making no comeback to the A-League. Ange has, has outgrown that. As of, you know, a lot of our coaches, I think, historically, I think that Tony Popovich is a character that has certainly outgrown the A-League but hasn't been able to find his feet, Stolich. Um, Kevin Musket, for me, also someone that's outgrown the A-League but is still struggling to find their feet abroad. Um, and the longer that we have these coaches in these positions, like your Carl Vietz, for example, um, Paddy Kisnorbo, Steve Corrigan, the longer they're able to generate success and do well, I think that they too will reach a point when they outgrow the A-League. You actually want to see this happen, right? We talk on and on and on about the carousel that we have here, et cetera, and our players coming back. But the whole idea is, particularly with respect to Alu Kual, you want to see players outgrow this league. You want to see yeah. this natural attrition because we're never going to be able to compete with Europe and you want to see them go well abroad. So for Ange Postacoglu, it's an interesting one and it's a bit off the beaten track. What's the next move for him, Stolich, do you feel? I mean, probably just stay in Japan for now. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm sure he wants to have another crack at the Asian Champions League and prove his worth there. But I would think unless a good club, I'm not saying a huge club, but a good club from Europe comes for him, uh, I'm not sure that he'll move. I mean, he's done the national team thing with us. I mean, is there a chance that he goes and coaches the Greek national team uh, where John Van Schip is at the moment? Possibly. Um, but, you know, he's, he's limited. Angie's a wonderful coach. But he's limited in his options for a few reasons. Uh, you know, his age, uh, the fact that he's never coached, you know, at a high level in Europe. Uh, you know, because I know. What do, you mean, what do you mean by his age, though? Well, I guess, you know, if you're looking at a lot of the uh, clubs in Europe, they're often quite keen to take a punt on the younger coaches coming in, the the Nigelsmans, the, the, because they see them as the kind of the new generations. You know, you see even um, there was talk that uh, uh, Gladbach was going to go after Javi Alonso and, and that type of thing. A, a lot of, I think, the clubs are looking towards the new era. Um, they're seeing that, uh, you know, some of these older coaches, they're not as I impressed. Roy Hodgson, who's in his 70s and looks like he needs a Zimmer frame, keeps getting gigs. That's why I'm asking you about his age. He's, he's 55. I mean, he's certainly not over the hill. 55. No, no. I'm not, I'm not saying he's over the hill at all, but I'm just saying it, it can be sometimes harder for them to kind of, you know, look at your CV and they don't see like the this projection of like, oh, my God, you're going to be this incredible coach in the future. They're looking at you going, okay, you've established yourself as a 
very good coach in Asia, but that might not always get you a, a great role in your I just bring this up because I see people, you know, linking with the Celtic job, for example. And I just think if I'm Celtic, that's probably not where I'm looking, the J League. Probably not. No now should they? Maybe. But uh yeah. But Arsenal but Arsenal looks to Arsene Wenger. They did. Uh once. And he would have been roughly around the same age. Once in nineteen ninety six. <laughs> it's been a long time since a team has done that. And, yeah, I love it. Wenger was an amazing coach, and I, I think uh, Paskoglu could surprise a few people in Europe. I'm just saying, if people say, oh, do you think he's going to go to Europe? Well, I don't think he's going to go to Europe to a big club. I don't think he's going to go even to kind of your, your mid-level, you know, top five leagues. I think if he was to go to Europe, I'm not sure where that space is going to open up for him. Uh, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but I'm just not sure where it will open up for him. I don't know what the man has to do to get a decent gig, which I personally think he's deserving of. Matt Schwab, next move for Andrew, think might be a good club in a non-top five European league, Belgium, Switzerland, Holland, etc. Belgium no. might be a good move, but, um, you know, he, he may think that he's deserving of more, and I think there'd be a good argument for it. What does the man need to do? He's winning the title there, for goodness sake. Yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, you look at uh, someone like Tony Popovich who won the Asian Champions League, uh, you know, with Wanderers. years ago. That man needed to strike. He just brought up Arsene Wenger in 1996. Yeah, but I'm saying that that was a move that transitioned from the J League to Arsenal, for goodness sake. So if you want to compare. But Tony Popovich needed to strike while the iron was hot, right? Arsene Wenger struck while the iron was hot. And I fear that for Ange, the longer it goes where he perhaps finishes second or third or doesn't continue to maintain that dominance in Japan, that's when you'll start to fall on the wayside. Um, For Popper, I mean, we all heard the rumours. We didn't know if they were true, though. At that time, apparently there were links to clubs in Asia. Apparently Crystal Palace also wanted him at the time too. These are unconfirmed. We don't know. Um, but that, I thought, would have been the opportune time to move to a club that would have been worthy of his standards. And with all due respect, I did not think that moves to Karabuk Sport and to Xanthi um, were good moves for him. And we can all say that with the benefit of hindsight, but I think even at the time, looking at the history of those respective clubs and the management and the style um, that the, the, the head of operations ran there, it didn't mm. seem like a good move. Stolich, it looks as though we're five minutes away from breaking our record of running this show for two hours, which is absolutely cackadoodle stuff, right? The amount of garbage that we can continue to talk on this show. But actually, that's just been between us because prior to that, we've had nothing but good stuff coming from all of our guests that have joined us today um, and, and delightful to have their company as well. So make sure that if you missed out, you can stream the show once again once we've wrapped up. But I want to finish the program. There's been so much to talk about here today. I'm starting to get a bit of a hoarse voice. I want to wrap the show up on... Bad news, good news, and we always encourage everybody to share your versions with us. Share whatever it is that might have happened over the Easter long weekend, perhaps that you saw in football that either caught your eye for good or for bad reasons. And, by the way, I hope everyone had a lovely Easter break um, so that you and I both had some time off, which was quite nice. Um, and great to have you back. Of course, we had the delightful David Bashir filling in for you while you were on your little getaway. Um, but tell us, what caught your eye in the bad news department? All right, bad news. And this is a message for any player at any level playing in a grand final or a final, all right? When you're walking out, do not do what Ika Munyain did 
for Athletic Bilbao, and they played Real Sociedad, so they're kind of rivals in the Basque country. The first time ever they were in the Copa del Rey final, unfortunately they couldn't do it with fans. But they were walking out, and Ike Munyin, who was captain, did this, and I didn't like it whatsoever because to me it was big bad juju. He touched the trophy. Juju. He touched the trophy before they'd won it. And what happened? They didn't win it. One nil Real Sociedad. Your rivals lifted that trophy because you touched it. And you know what? You know, people. I'm not a big, you know, superstition kind of person. But let me tell you one thing. You're gonna make your teammates a little bit more nervous because they're gonna think, ah, you shouldn't have done that. And the opposition is going to look at you, and they're already fired up for sure. But that just extra 1%, they're going to go, did that guy just touch the trophy? How <laughs> dare he? We are going to make sure that we lift it. And they did. 1-0. Congratulations to Real Sociedad uh, from the city of San Sebastian, one of the most beautiful cities that I've ever been to. And if you ever get the chance, please go there. It is a wonderful, wonderful city. I recommend it to everyone. Um, but, yeah, Bill Bao, Ika Munyin, touching the trophy. That is bad news. I wonder what went through his mind there because, well, I mean, look, you know, you play a bit of football in your spare time. I used mm. to have a kick about embarrassingly when I was much younger at school. Um, but you always know never to touch the trophy. As a player especially, you know never to touch the trophy. So really, um, it, yeah, you've, you've got to wonder, was that just a brain snap moment? It's bizarre, really. It really is bizarre. Everybody, please, what's your bad news for the week? I want to see more. Maybe this could be a bit of bad news for those in South Australia. Lucy, to be tourism minister for South Australia. Can I just get to the heart of all of this? Years after the fact almost, this has been going on for years now. This has continued to haunt me. I actually have no problems with South Australia whatsoever. The people are lovely. My experiences were great. It was a bit of banter. It is time to move on. I'll happily go back to Adelaide. I've got a lot of love for the football community there. They're a wonderful parochial fan base that are doing great things in the football space. So, no, in some probably good news, actually, I will not be running for the South Australian Tourism Minister because I'm sure that they would not like to have me. My bad news, of course, and I touched on it earlier, at the top of the show was about the alleged racism that we saw take place in La Liga between Valencia and Cadiz. Uh, very sad stuff. I think in the aftermath of it as well, it was even more frustrating to hear that because the players took this sensational stance to walk off after the alleged racist slur had been directed towards one of the players, uh, Javi Gracia, the Valencia coach, came out afterwards and said, in the changing rooms we were told that if we didn't return, we would be sanctioned. We spoke with Diaka about how he was and he told us he wouldn't play, but he understood perfectly we had to continue to avoid a possible sanction, so we returned. Because a lot of the comments around it were, well, they walked off, but then, yes, they ha- well, they came back. Well, they had to come back, right? So you're facing possible sanctions, plus you've got broadcast intricacies going on in La Liga. Um, That would have piled the pressure on them. But it it laces in with my good news as well because what we're seeing now is players starting to call out the behaviour and to react, right, and to react with action, not just a bunch of videos or banners. They're actually taking tangible action to say that we stand against this and do you know what? We have a right as human beings, not as footballers, we have a right as human beings to make it clear how we feel about this, to protest against it and to decide not to participate. The only way we're going to see change in this space, and I'm not saying that I'm rubbishing the campaigns that have been produced, the ones that FIFA have backed, that UEFA have backed, say no to racism, etc. but you cannot just establish a campaign. You have to have tangible action, right? And action is 
standing up and protesting, saying, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to be a part of this social media platform. I know that Gareth Bale came out weeks ago and actually said that if the players in the Premier League were to form like a class action and all say that they were going to remove themselves from social media, that he would be a part of something like that, that he would endorse that. Get together. Do it. Start doing things that are going to affect change because action is the only way to do it, right? Arsenal have also established a task force that are going to try and tackle the way that they see this online abuse and racist abuse directed towards players. They need to do something because we all say it, enough is enough, but start to do something to show that enough is enough. So, yes, that is my bad news, but good news is is that the players and everybody are trying to, to, to make a stand against it. What's your good news, Stolich? What have you got for us? Lucy, I know you said a few weeks ago that I couldn't bring up Barcelona for my good oh, news. Jesus, you're not going to bring up Barca again, are you? I told you, you have to go one week bad news, good news without referencing Barcelona and you couldn't help yourself, could you? I would have, but look, Lucy, look what has happened. Atletico Madrid, 66 points. Barcelona, 65 points. Look at those ticks for the last five games. Tick, tick. It's unbelievable. We're challenging for the title again. It's in our destiny. We have to beat Atletico Madrid. Uh, we play them in a few weeks, and then we can go above them. It's in our destiny. I never thought this was going to happen this season. This season started off so badly. I thought we were going to barely even make top four. But we have done it. And i got to say, I am so, so impressed. But the big thing is this weekend. I know I was saying before, you got to stay up late to watch um, the – Matilda's match. You got to go to the W League Grand Final or at least watch it on TV. But you've also, let's be honest, you've got to get up at 5 a.m. for this game. Real Madrid, Barcelona, El Clasico, baby. If we knock them off here, oof, you're going to hear about it next week. The El Clasicals aren't what they used to be. I used to care so much more about the El Clasicals. Of course, we still watch them. You know, it's it's one of the most iconic rivalries in world football. But it's just not what it used to be, particularly when you consider the departure of Cristiano, the great Cristiano Ronaldo, and, you know, the rivalry that both he and Messi had within La Liga. You suck that element out of it and the fact that these two clubs are not at the peak of their powers. Real bid farewell to the Galactico Sera a long time ago. Barca, a number of their players are on the way out, going to need to throw them a couple of Zimmer frames as well while they're, you know, walking through the door. So it's just, I'm sorry, Sonny, I can't get behind you on this. It is not what it used to be. Well, I don't care what it used to be. As long as Barca wins this weekend, I'm going to be unbelievably happy. Uh, but, yes, shout out Ryan Tavakol. Good news, Real Madrid winning 3-1 against Liverpool and Vinicius Jr. proving his critics wrong. I've got to be honest, I'm a big Vinicius Jr. Uh, critic. Uh, if they're, You know what? Sometimes I think I would like to create the Barcelona Supporters Club here in Sydney. I would also like to create the Madrid-hating Supporters Club, where you just hate on Real Madrid. And one of the players that I hated on the most and enjoyed hating on was Vinicius. But this morning, oof, I got scared. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, we've been talking too much crap about this guy. This guy is good, and he proved it this morning. He's very good. The opposite of good is good news, Real Madrid winning 3-1 against Liverpool. Ryan, you can piss off. I liked you up until that point. Bad news, he says, though. Costa getting rubbish thrown at him after scoring yeah. against him. Couldn't agree okay. more, Ryan. This is the first time I think that we're seeing Ryan Tavakol, if I'm correct, pop up on our World Game Live feeds here. Am good I comments. wrong? 
Good comments, Ryan. Good comments. Well, I want to say, Ryan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. You've been engaging with us regularly. We welcome any newcomers to the program as well. Um, and A-League memes have also got something to say. Martin Cubby, before we get to A-League memes, good news is community football starts in April with a two million with two million plus Australians, young and old, out on the fields each weekend. Mm. Bring it on. Couldn't agree more, Martin. Oh, to see that the young kids will be given the opportunity, especially after, you know, the year that we've had, no thanks to COVID, to get back out there and do what they love. A-leg memes, you mean there's no official Barca supporters club in Sydney, Stolich? I find that very hard to believe. I think I don't think there is. I don't think they call these things the Peñas, right? And they have them around the Real Madrid has one, and it's a bunch of like 80-year-old dudes who came out here in the 50s and set one up, I think, just to hang out a bit. Um, you're going to get some people banging on your door wearing Los Blancos T-shirts, and you're going to be in a whole heap of shit. I mean, half my friends support Los Blancos, so it's all good. I'm used to that. Don't worry about that. Um, you're going to be in deep trouble soon. But, yeah, no, as far as I know, there isn't uh, one. But who knows? Maybe one day I'll set one up. All right. Well, you might need to, and you'll be the president in perpetuity even when you're long gone, my friend. They'll still be worshipping you in the sky. No no Barca for next week. That is your challenge. Okay. You have to adhere to it, all right? Hold on. If we, beat, if we beat Real Madrid, I'm not allowed to say, talk about Barca. You can, but just not in the bad news, good news. Okay. Come on, find something else, for goodness sake, any opportunity to get. Everybody, this is a record-breaking program. We cracked the two-hour mark, two hours, five minutes and 40 seconds and counting this program has gone on for Stolich. Two-part special. Two-part special. I don't know how you feel, but I reckon I could keep going. It's three o'clock here. What, what else is everyone up to? Can we keep talking? Are there any other topics that we need to cover off? No, I'm kidding, guys. We actually do have to wrap up the program. This was supposed to finish about an hour ago. Hassan Bertan, great show, guys, like always. Really appreciate it, Hassan. One of our top fans here on the World Game Live. Great to have your company as always. And Ryan Tavakol, as I mentioned, welcome to you, mate. Always, as we say, we love to have newcomers and everyone engaging with us on the World Game Live. That's why we're here every Wednesday. Plenty to talk about and dissect next week. We'll have Sam Lewis to unpack everything that we see off the back of the W League Grand Final, which we've encouraged everyone in New South Wales to go to this Sunday. Uh, and it's going to be played on a fantastic surface, Nostrada Jubilee, the perfect, uh, the perfect arena for some football to be played, a nice boutique stadium. Matt Schwab, great show, guys. First time I've tuned in live. Really enjoyed it. Matt Schwab, welcome to you, mate. It's great mm. to have you as a newcomer too here joining us on the World Game Live. We are here every Wednesday from 1pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. A-League memes, they went to the bank, came back, and you guys are still on depositing money or withdrawing A-League memes? I'd like to know. Are you rolling in it? What's going on? Are you making it rain? You know, who, who are you banking with? What are your interest rates? Like? <laughs> okay, give, give us your PIN number. Yeah, why not? <laughs> We hope A-League memes that some of your representatives are there this Sunday for the W-League Grand Final as we've encouraged everybody. Watch it either on TV, get your friends together, get a barbecue going, go to the pub, have a schnitty or turn up to the game from wherever you're watching. It'll be great to see you there. Of course, for a lot of the stories that we have discussed, you can also head to the World Game website. It is your one-stop shop for all things football related. We've got opinion pieces, video content not just from home but abroad as well and keeping in touch with what our Aussies are doing as well, which is great to see. Stolich, it's been a bumper show. We've broken a record. Salute to you. Great to have your company and back again. But in the meantime, on behalf of all of us here at the World Game Live, thanks so much for your company and we'll see you again next Wednesday from 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time now that the clocks have gone back. Ciao for now, guys. Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something. 
and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity and employee satisfaction. Make your organisation a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au.